I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back in the chair next to Sam Monson here on a Monday morning. And we're going to be breaking down Sam's latest mock draft. What's up, Steven? Hi. You're back. I am. In rainy Midwest Cincinnati. Yeah. Far cry from uh, California, huh? It, it is. You know, Palm Springs is like uh, nice part it. of their... Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> part of the airport is outdoors. Okay. That's how much faith they have that it's not you know, going to rain like it is here in Cincinnati. Yeah, there's a lot of places like that in the world. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, places that just don't even need to think about it. Yeah, it was it's not going to rain today. It's a good trip. I, uh, I see you got some good uh, replacements for me. Mike Renner, Trevor. Yeah, that's it was, good. It was fine. Some daily replacements and everything, too. Yeah. Good work. Appreciate yeah. it. We, uh, we tweeted out your golf. Yes. I tried to send footage of my unfortunate golf shots. I had some good ones, too, but none of those made the video. No. No. So. I mean, that one was good. It was a good video. It was a yeah. bad golf shot. Yeah. We you, were on a yeah. uh, very good course. Yeah, that you know, tough to tough to stay play within the lines there <laughs> on this course. A lot well, of certainly, houses. Certainly, when you're hitting houses over there, it's tough to stay yeah, within the I've lines. Hit, I pulled it and hit houses. I sliced it and hit houses. It's you not were even saying slice? It's like directly to the right. Yeah, I mean that was just yeah. over there, just bad. Um, the I, I liked your description of how many balls did you begin with and how many did you finish with as a collective. Yeah. So our uh, our trio. I want to say we had. Let's say 16. Yeah. Maybe a couple more. We ended with two. <laughs> and you were conserving them late on. Yes. There was, definitely, <laughs> there was definitely a point where if there was water, we were playing best ball. So if there was water, we would just like take the first shot if it was good enough and just, you know, make sure we could finish the round. Yeah. Just not even. Yeah. We'll made some business it. decisions. We're standing on like, this, this one. We're not even attempting a better we were, one. We were playing until sundown and, you know, we knew we'd probably get 12, 13, 14 holes in. And we were just trying to. Just trying to make it to the end and survive. And we finished with two. Mm. Felt like a win. So uh, shout out to Nate Gerstle for uh, supplying a few extra golf balls. Yeah. Because I was losing them left and right. Mm. Anyway. Nice work. Yeah, thanks. So uh, good trip. Good to be back here. And uh, as always, we got a little mock draft Monday. But first, before we get into it, we'll get into our uh, charities, which uh, yours is getting close. Mine's uh, a little behind still. Yes. Yeah, we need one like, last final push to get this done so we can move on to the baseball stuff, which is me pitching and an over-under on what speed that's going to be. And also, we still owe people the catching thing. You know, there's a lot of baseball stuff to catch up on. We can't get there until either you do combine drills or I have to replicate a stupid TikTok dance. So, our pin tweets, at PFF underscore Sam, at PFF underscore Steve. Let's donate. Get us over that last little hump. Mine is raising money for Sunshine Kids, a charity that 
uh, does activities for kids with cancer and stuff, helps them feel like kids for once as opposed to just people with cancer. A really great cause. And as I say, you get to see me dress up like an idiot dancing on TikTok. Yours? Mine is Heritage House right here in uh, Cincinnati. Slogan is hope is here. That's that off-centered uh, slogan that you see there. It's a beautiful image. Um, <clears throat> so we need a late push here as well. And if we can, uh, if we can get money raised for Heritage House, the uh, faith-based recovery program here in Cincinnati for men battling addiction, <coughs> I will do full combine drills, including hand size and the whole thing. Because that's important, too. I want to see if I can break the record. I mean, we already know you can. I, I don't. We haven't confirmed. But I think I could break the hand size record. Yeah. Um, I think my speed score might be low, but I'm curious where my 40 is these days. I threw a tape measure at my hands the other day, and it turns out I've been dramatically underselling my teeny little hands. Um, they're eight inches, which yeah, is that's not, not the worst. No, it's it's in fact it's significantly larger than the yeah. worst ever, which is where I thought it would be. And it does raise in a, like that the, the kicker this year. There's some kicker with like the smallest hands ever measured at the combine. They're like seven and a quarter or something. That guy, like, he's a legitimate freak. Yeah. My hands are tiny, and they're bigger than that guy's. That's insane. I'm, I'm impressed. Also, You're not the worst. Kenny Pickett, now that really throws into some, like, serious context, Kenny Pickett's hands. We're talking eight and five-eighths for Kenny Pickett. So five-eighths of an inch bigger than my tiny little hands. And I 100%. Can we get Sam a football over here just exactly. to show how difficult this is? <laughs> Have problems uncorking, like, the, the full power of the cannon on a deep ball using a regulation NFL football. I, I struggle to believe that five-eighths of an inch is enough to overcome that. That's why the Panthers had to confirm. That's why he has to wear gloves. I mean, yeah. seriously. Like, you can eight, – eight and five-eighths. You just get, like, super big gloves for, like, nine-and-a-half-inch hands, and it's like, oh, there we go. No, like you having just a nine-and-a-half-inch You just need the tack. Like, know, you just need the grip. Otherwise, you're, you're sunk. Eight and five-eighths, it's a problem. I can't believe you reached eight. I'm impressed. Same. What do I need to get to, 12? 11 yeah, and a half, I think, something I like think that? Was it DeForest Buckner was like 11 and 5 eighths or something? You got to hit the foot. I got that. You got to have hands and feet, except yeah. in, a, in, in the good way. As opposed well, to we'll only be able to see that if we can get over that $2,500 mark yeah, so pin for tweets. Heritage House. It's on our pin tweets at PFF underscore Sam for you at pet, uh, PFF underscore Steve. What is it? What did I say yours was? At PFF underscore Sam. No, you said that fine. And then you just and stop then, making words when you try to say yours. Yeah, yeah. Look, sometimes you miss a couple shows, you get a little rusty. Yeah. I'm rusty. Okay. You think it's just easy to just wake up and talk football for two and a half hours every day? I mean, look, I don't know what kind of routine you have to go through before you get in that chair. Yeah, like voice. Uh, Those exercises. Exercises, yeah. Yeah, get a, Scales, get a warm up. What are they called? Get the, train the brain <laughs> to say words in a row. <laughs> P, at PFF underscore Steve is uh, where you can find my pinned tweet. Yeah. Also in the YouTube description here. Yes. True. All right. Are the people here? Most of them. I, I need to ask. I need an appeal for help. Um, in At some point in late May, early June, myself and my dad are going to be driving across the country from San Francisco to Orlando, more or less. Um, and along the way, we're going to be raising money for charity as well. We're going to do some stuff on our social media. We'll, we'll create a video to put up somewhere in the podcast and things as well. Uh, basically, we're driving a vintage... Jaguar E-Type across the country, which is about upwards of 3,000 miles. The 96 on. Jack? No, I'm much older than 96 Jack. So it's not Tony Baselli? Oh, okay. Yeah, predates, in fact, the franchise by quite some significant margin. Um, so I, we need route suggestions. We need places to go. We need things to see. 
generally, I think we're good for like the first thousand miles. You know, anything west of Colorado, I think we're relatively covered. But throw in suggestions. Anything east of Colorado, we're struggling. There's like there appears to be like a giant chunk of the country where even the guidebooks and you know the suggested route planners and stuff are just tapping out and want nothing to do with it. So if you guys have suggestions of places we can go, this this route is entirely flexible. It literally just has to start in San Francisco and end in Orlando and take about two weeks. Beyond that, any suggestions, welcome. So send us emails or tweet or whatever you want to do. Um, email is the, probably the easiest. Uh, what's our email? NFLpodcast at pff.com. Fire us emails, you know, throw a trip or something in the subject line so we can see it easily and give us ideas of where on earth we can stop and see things along this journey. I want to see a drawn map. What is the best route? That's what I think you need. I just want to, I want places, things to see, to must sees along the way. You need to catch a baseball game. And no, I don't. I At don't. least one baseball game. You, I, like, we're trying to do this in, inside a certain time frame. All no. you're doing is literally setting fire to three hours. Yeah, some of the games could be quicker. You could get a nice two-and-a-half-hour game in there. Yeah, great. Well, so you're going to leave me for a couple of weeks. I'll have to find all sorts of uh, guests, replacements for you. Yeah, I, you'll manage. Yeah, that'll be uh, early off-season stuff, so we'll have some fun with that while you're on your trip. Uh, don't forget the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, man, you ready to get into this? Mock draft over on the website. Is it, are you the feature mock draft right now? Uh, I dot so. I think we're starting I to saw crank the tweet them out. Saying it's mock draft Monday, and that was my mock. So presumably, all right. So and you put in the mock draft simulator grade. So someone's yeah. already graded your picks. Yes, the mock draft sim has graded my picks or my mock or the picks of the teams within my mock. All right. So what is your uh, criteria for this? Because again, every mock draft is different. Some are what you would do. Some are what you're hearing, and all that stuff. So where are you? In your mock draft here, what do you? Yeah, how so you this doing? is not what I think. Uh, what I would do. This is what some variation of what I think might happen. You know, yeah. there's some trying to pull signal from the noise. You know, the Trayvon Walker hype, all that kind of stuff. What, what's real? What isn't? Discerning uh, actual actuality from these from the media spin and the PR that's going on right now, and the disinformation campaigns, the fake news. Uh, so some attempt at, you know, actually predicting what's going to happen with the obvious caveat that anybody trying to realistically predict what's going to happen a couple of weeks out from a mock draft is out of their minds and will get like one pick right. You know, that's well, the yeah. standard here. I mean, like legitimately five or six. Yeah, like the best mocks and those grading things that you keep getting thrown on <laughs> get like four or five. Have I uh, have I mentioned how frustrated I've been with that? in the past? A little bit. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I put that on the show or not. Oh, no, you did. But, like, I very specifically do not do predictive mock drafts. I simply do, like, hey, Steve's the GM. Here's what Steve would do hmm. all the time. And then they just drop me at the end of all the uh, predictive mock yeah, draft yeah. contests like, and what? all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, like, I didn't put people in the first round who I know were going in the first round because I wouldn't draft them in the first round. I mean, I just think it's kind of funny. Yeah, well, I'm not doing it this year. <laughs> so I'm not doing a final mock, and I won't be a part of those contests. I won't be tagged the day after the draft with, like, the trash score or whatever I have. 
and people think it's serious. Hmm. All right, well, let's get into it. So you start with uh, – you had the Jaguars picking first here in your mock draft. That's good. Yes, I didn't do trades on the basis that that would have complicated putting the grade on the thing. Yeah. So I just, I just didn't do it. So let's go. You got Aiden Hutchinson going number one. By the way, check out the, the Hutch document, uh, documentary over here on YouTube or wherever you listen to us in podcast world. Just uh, search Hutch. And H- uh, Hutchinson's going number one. There's not much to discuss there. We, you know, we're pretty on board with well, that happening. And other than you know, that. this Trayvon Walker thing is getting it's getting noisier in terms of number one. Um, I do think Hutchinson's still the pick. It just makes too much sense. I mean, come on, we would have to be we would have to deviate a lot from like normality and what is the biggest chance of anything happening to to shoot for the long shot and go in a different direction. Yeah, so Hutchinson number one, this is something that's come up in some of our recent mock drafts. You go Kayvon Thibodeau number two. I think you did that when we went back and forth last week, right? Thibodeau, the Oregon edge defender, goes to the Detroit Lions. And then you have Trayvon Walker going number three to the Houston Texans. So it's edge, edge, edge yep. to start the draft, which to be honest, in this, in this draft of uh, uncertainty and a lack of high-end quarterback talent doesn't feel like a crazy thing that could happen no. where teams feel good about getting those, and yet, those edge defenders up. I haven't seen it happen that much in mock drafts. And what it does, it creates some really interesting picks later on when all of a sudden – you know, teams are sitting there on the board with, like, all of the top tackles available to pick. You know, those kinds of things. And so all of a sudden, I think you start to see random guys slide, and it has this domino effect, the, you know, the butterfly effect of guys being available way lower down the draft than you would expect them to be because teams started off edge one, two, three. Yeah, and so I think – so the Texans were the first team when I heard the Trayvon Walker buzz – like, I'm not buying into the Jags. I don't think I'm buying into the Lions maybe at two. The Texans felt like the first team that I was kind of buying into as far as maybe Trayvon Walker is going to go that high Yeah. at number three. Texans, of course, have two of those draft picks. You hear me say it all over and over again. I think if you do have two draft picks, it, I'd be more willing to maybe take some upside type of gambles or whatever it might be. And um, Look, the Texans have Nick Casario as GM coming straight from the Bill Belichick line. And I think anytime Bill Belichick has a first-round pick, you really don't know what he's going to do. It's very tough to predict. Anytime the Seahawks have a first-round pick, it's tough to predict. And I think the Texans going Trayvon Walker, I think that would have been tough to predict, you know, a month ago, you know, a few weeks back. And it's, it's becoming more of a reality that Walker could be a top-five player. But that's definitely something I could see the Texans doing there. Did you see that thing that um, was tweeted about – it was from Sloan of Nick Casario talking about the perception that length is a, a requisite trait for success at a certain position. Um, and then was sort of mentioning a study that concluded there was no correlation whatsoever. But he didn't tell anybody what the position was, and people were speculating it was cornerback. I wonder if it's actually edge. I mean, I th- it could be tackle, too. Also that. It, so here's the thing about that study. It completely depends on which Joe Thomas measurement you're using. Yes. Because if, you, if, you have, for if, if you're looking at an offensive tackle and you're like, well, Joe Thomas has 32-and-a-half-inch arms, he's going to skew all the perception. Yeah. It also depends. Like, what is, these things are always interesting because, like, what's your measurement of success? That's like playing time because that's not success. That's my that's my point. I think most of these generally look at pro bowlers and all pro players. Right, that'd be my pro bowl for a start. A pro bowl is a farce. So that's not a great measure. It is. 
Um, that's one of the places where I'm I'm trying to change the game a little bit on the team side. <laughs> what? So I'm sorry. That just sounded tremendously pretentious. This oh. is one of the areas I'm trying to change the game. Oh yeah. Let me let me let me bring that back. Tell so me it more about sound how you're trying so to pretentious. I'm trying to uh, bring awareness to. I'm trying to raise awareness that maybe defining success, there are better ways to do it. I do think the PFF war metric does a good job because when you look at war, it does point to actual NFL wins. So when we do uh, discuss our PFF IQ, our uh, team-centric product behind, behind the scenes here, we do talk about that and thinking you know, and figuring out, okay, let's, what if we use war as a baseline for success and kind of work backwards from that just because war generally leads to more wins. Mm-hmm. So that you're not just saying, did this guy start? Did this guy make the Pro Bowl? Which, again, you counting Mitch Trubisky's Pro Bowl? Like Mitch Trubisky has more Pro Bowls than, um, than who was it? I mean, he has more Pro Bowls than Mitchell Schwartz. Oh, so, oh, so if, you, if you like rank Pro Bowls, in, say, the AFC North, including Baker Mayfield, um, Joe Burrow's last, right? Like, you've got Mitch Trubisky one, Joe Burrow zero, something like that. I think somebody showed. So just Pro Bowls are all over the place. Um, but I think you could I, – I am curious about the success thing. Sorry. Yeah, I wasn't trying to sound pretentious. I don't know. I rolled right into it naturally. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, thanks. Just take, pull up a chair and uh, let me tell you a little bit about how I'm trying to change the game. Listen, NFL execs, if you want to hear more, just email me. You'll find my email. <laughs> yeah, so where are we going with this here so the length thing you think it was maybe edge i think it could Casario be edge said. tackles a good call as well I, i'm just i'm not convinced it's corner was the thing is you know everyone's like oh i bet it's corner i that's the one position i think it might not actually it probably isn't okay let me check my anything numbers. else i think there is quite a strong correlation between length and cornerback success let me check out my numbers really quick okay so everybody why did everybody assume corner i people just assumed People assume things. They make an ass out of you and me. They do. No, I don't All have the time. My, uh, don't have my edge numbers updated here. But, yeah, I, honestly, there's not, there's not a high direct. Tackle's a good call because I can think of a bunch of terrible tackles with long arms. Now, but here's the thing with studies. I, I think teams have been doing studies like this forever. And some of the studies that they've come up with that I've heard, it's like, well, the first-round running back is a really good investment because they have X amount of production. They always get 1,000 yards. They always get this and that. And, and they, usually a lot of people running these studies fail to miss the context of it's easy to justify your first-round running back if you're looking at production because you're going to feed him the football, right? You're going right. to hand it off to him. He's going to get a lot of numbers. The same thing, there is, uh, there is selection bias with short-armed offensive tackles, right? There yeah. is, uh, if you have a uh, Rayshon Slater or whoever it is, they're usually so good at everything else. So let's say Joe Thomas does have 32.5-inch arms. They're usually so good at everything else that they're, you know, it doesn't matter that they have 32, 32 and a half inch arms. So you do have to parse that out when you're doing these studies. Do I have anything on, uh, I mean, my quick glance at arm length here. Let me expand this out really for, for tackles. I mean, there's not much of a correlation here either, just in a vacuum. So, yeah, I mean, I, there, there's no real point to that other than it, it potentially means that the Houston Texans. Uh, are not necessarily doing things the way people assume they would, which is just grab, you know, the, the athletic freak specimen, coach him up, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they are willing to go for a guy that has slightly unusual, uh, has a slightly unusual profile, measurable profile. 
All right, so we've got so you're going edge, edge, edge yep. to start the mock draft. Remember, you can follow along at pff.com. It's uh, Sam's most recent mock draft. Is this your final mock draft? Uh, maybe, probably, yeah, possibly. probably. Who knows? So number four, we're going for the New York Jets cornerback Sauce Gardner mm-hmm. to Cincinnati. From like mock drafting and general, all this, the process, right? The two most agitated and annoyed fan bases just across the board. No matter what you do for them, no matter what pick you give them, which player are the Jets and the Titans. There isn't a pick you can give either of those two teams that won't piss people off. The Titans are just still bitter. We forgot about them. Yeah, I mean, possibly. Oh, they're definitely mad about your pick here. Yeah, yeah. I've already had tweets. And the Jets, are, the Jets fans are pissed because, uh, quote, let me, let me quote this one. It's a good one. Uh, this is just lazy mock drafting. Lazy. If they follow the tea leaves, they know that the Jets are going pass rush at four. Even if all three edges are off the board, they're going pass rush at four. You lazy jackass. If you're on Jets Reddit, as I am, <laughs> you will know the tea leaves. Yeah, I mean, look, every, the, the draft could change, you know? The, you had three edges go, so they're probably not going edge. I mean, look, uh, if you read the tea leaves, you know. So who's it? Jermaine Johnson? Is that what the Jets fan wants? So here's the thing. If you're one of those Jets fans or you're one of those Titans fans, here's what we've decided. The Thursday of the, of the draft, when we usually record, it's Thursday at 1030 Eastern. That's going to be our fan-driven mock. Now, I, I don't think we're going to be able to set it up so we have one per team and all that stuff. We did get, I did get a bunch of requests that you know, people saying, hey, I can, mo- I can mock for this team and I can mock for this team. Um, I think it's going to be a little difficult for us to pull all that together. But I just want people in the live YouTube chat, we'll throw a poll out there and we'll, we'll see who wins the poll so we can all be a part of it. Um, but it's usually that we'll do it that Thursday before, Thursday of the draft. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that'll be our fan mock draft. So if you're upset with Sam's number four overall pick here, Jets fans, of Sauce Gardner, which I like, I like a lot. 31.8 passer rating thrown into his coverage. A lot of production. The guy, you know, looked like he passed all the interviews, passed the speed test, passed the length test, all the stuff here. He ticked every box this offseason. It's not crazy to think that Sauce Gardner is going to be the number one corner off the board, even as uh, one year, even compared to Derek Stingley, who looked like a generational type of cornerback prospect at one point. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to sound more and more like that's just going to happen that Sauce Gardner is the number one corner on people's boards now, not Stingley. Um, Stingley is now relying on, like, be, he's, he's gone from everybody would love a Derek Stingley, that dude's, you know, amazing, generational, best season we've seen, freshman, all this kind of stuff, to, like, now he needs the one team that's willing to overlook two years and you know, take a chance on that year, the 2019 season. He actually, like, he's waiting for the first team to go, yeah, all right, I don't care about the next two years. I'm going to grab that guy because the upside is huge. Uh, as opposed to Sauce Gardner, where most people seem to be perfectly happy with his entire profile. Even though, like, Sauce Gardner excels at the area of the game that's becoming less and less prevalent for cornerbacks, the sort of skill set, that classic press man. You say Stingley? No, uh, Sauce. Sauce. Oh, gotcha. That classic press man type of style, it's happening less and less now. Like, teams are playing less of that than they ever have before. Yeah, it's true. I mean, at the same time, I think if you have a guy like Sauce Gardner, you're going to, even if you're playing cover two, you still have to get your hands on, you know, receivers and all that stuff. There's still value. Plus, I I like to call it zone length, Sam. When you have zone length, you're compressing those passing lanes. and Zone length. Zone length, yeah. You got to have some more, you need more draft terms. 
You know what I mean? Okay. You need more draft terms. Made Renner and I used to make ones. those up every yeah. year. Yeah. Like uh, tackle radius was a good one that we came up with. Guys with a large tackle radius. It's important. Yeah. So Sauce Gardner to number f- uh, to the Jets at number four. The mock draft sim has said it was an A minus. So I'll go with our uh, simulator grade mm. over the couple of Jets fans that keep pestering you. The mock draft sim likes most of the early picks. Doesn't love you know Trayvon Walker because lack of production, blah blah. But you know we understand it. B minus uh, for that one. But otherwise we're all in the A, a territory. Well, let's discuss the two Giants picks, and then we'll circle back to the Panthers. So you have uh, the Giants at five, taking Ikki Ikwanu, the tackle out of NC State. Mock draft sim gives you an A, and then the sim gives you a C. I haven't seen this one yet. The Giants at seven, taking Devin Lloyd, the yeah. linebacker out of Utah, breaking all Giants protocols since the 80s, drafting a first-round linebacker. Yeah. So this is one of those picks, I think. This is one of the dominoes that falls, one of the, the effects of the, the butterfly flapping its wings with those first three edges is in most mock drafts, you're going to see the Giants, I think, picking an edge with one of these top picks, right? They're the team that stops the slide of Kayvon Thibodeau or whatever. Uh, but if all those guys are off the board and they grab a tackle with their first pick, um, Iki Iquanu, again, tackles are starting to slide. And all of a sudden, you're like, all right, where do the Giants go with this next pick? And they're probably not going to grab a wide receiver given how much money they already have tied up in that position. They, they're probably not taking a quarterback, given the current status. They just grabbed an offensive lineman. Like, what are you doing? Okay, you could grab Kyle Hamilton. You could grab a cornerback, but Sauce is already gone. So you, are you the team that wants to do take the chance on Derek Stingley? I just think there's a very real chance this is a out-of-left-field type of pick. And Devin Lloyd's stock does appear to be going up and up and up the closer to the draft we get. He is this modern prototype of the linebacker position the guy looks like Darius Leonard out there in terms of length range size plays everything well um I I think it makes a lot of sense I hate myself for using the word safe for Devin Lloyd last week when we were doing the mock draft uh, because I usually I usually rail against those who call linebackers safe you know the old Aaron Curry draft pick for the Seattle Seahawks, number four overall in, what, 2009, I believe it was, because I think most people used to say, well, linebackers are safe because they, you could justify it, right? they get 100 tackles because they'd be out there, again, um, not necessarily using the right uh, KPIs, so to speak. But Devin Lloyd, in, uh, in my model here, Sam, mm. my uh, change-the-game model, yes. he ticks a lot of boxes as far as projecting as at least having a good to elite career. Um, and those include things like just his, his college production, the way he plays the run. Um, I do love the way he plays zone as a, you know, as a you know, coverage defender. He does a lot of things really well. I think there is safety in Devin Lloyd. The prospect, I'm not defaulting to linebackers are safe because I'll justify them with 100 tackles, just uh, for clarification there. Um, but at number seven, I see the realism there, too, right? You, you always kind of get this random linebacker or random safety that kind of jumps into the top 10 that you may not have predicted. I could see Lloyd being that guy. It doesn't feel great, I don't think, if you're a Giants fan, because there are other, right. you know, there are, the fences can be swung for there, right? But again, it's also like this is why, you know, when teams do what I th- I'm assuming a lot of these people do when they rip your pick, which is just scroll down to that pick and be like, ah, no way that team drafts this player at this position, idiot. You're like, well, you have to look at what happened in the previous picks. Right. So that, that whole thing of edge rushers going one, two, three immediately changes the rest of the draft because players that you expected to be there are not, and players that you didn't expect to be there are all of a sudden there. <clears throat> so if the Giants do 
pick up an offensive lineman with their first pick at five, unless they A, trade down, entirely possible if they could do that. B, like if they double dipped on the offensive line, which is unlikely given that, you know, Andrew Thomas is there as a first round left tackle. Um, like there aren't that many places for them to go with this pick. Yeah, and look, I, we already have people in uh, the YouTube comments suggesting that the Giants trade down. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're not doing that in Correct. this particular mock. I would love to see the Giants. I mean, if I'm a Giants fan, I would love uh, to see them trade right. down. And trading down, again, is always like, well, who's coming up? Who's coming up, yep. Right? And okay, in this scenario, the tackles are starting to slide, so maybe teams would jump up for one of them. Uh, a team looking for a wide receiver would still have their choice at this point. It's possible, but it's not all, you know, it's... Yes, a lot of teams would love to trade down at any given opportunity, but it's the, the offer isn't always there. All right, before we get into what the Panthers did at number six. <laughs> what did you do? You've got uh, – well, all we're talking about is uh, fresh pickups, but the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped. It's Howard. a trickier transition than you think it is. You know, yeah. I tried I, – I took a couple of swings at it when you weren't here, and it's – I was going to say, I didn't easy. hear how well your segues were there, but – I had one, I think, that was – the – the chalkboard, you know, when they draw up the play on the chalkboard and it looks perfect, it's going to yeah. work. The chalkboard play was perfect, and then I, I butchered the execution. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're always sitting there as the, uh, as the passenger laughing right. at me when I screw it up. Uh-huh. You don't realize how do- tough it is in the captain's chair. I know. Yeah. Because yeah. the only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped's the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough to... Run a sub 4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com. Use the exclusive code PFF at checkout and you get 20% off plus free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming that roster, Manscaped will make sure that you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think long nose hair is a major turnoff. The Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, and it is also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped is partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with manscaped all right so you're going kenny pickett number six here to the carolina panthers this is your uh reading the room yeah. reading the buzz and reacting accordingly you do believe that the panthers are in can't stress enough how much i kenny would pickett. not do this if it was me but the mock draft sim also gave you an f because we don't have him highly ranked on the board <laughs> the, the, the panthers i think may well be doing this and yes the mock draft sim despite the mock draft sim loving quarterbacks as a general rule hates drafting Kenny Pickett at six overall. Uh, and, you know, you can understand why. Kenny Pickett's not that good. He's got like a second-round grade on our, on our board, on the big board. Comfortably second round. He has flaws to his game, significant ones. Yes, he's accurate. The end. You know, that's about it. We're talking about a guy who is accurate, who had a great season last year, who's big enough, athletic enough, arms good enough, teeny tiny hands, needs the gloves. Uh, some real problems with how he manipulates and manages the pocket. Doesn't have a good pocket presence at all. When that presence breaks down, he immediately drops his eyes and tries to make a play on the ground, which leaves a lot on the table athletically. And that's or um, in the in the past game, and that's even assuming he's athletically capable enough to do that at the next level, as opposed to becoming you know the next Christian Ponder. 
so there's a lot of concern there. And what does that, it do? What does it do well, though? I mean, this is so I'm trying to. I feel he's like he's accurate. He's accurate. He delivers the ball to the middle of the field well, in particular. Um, he's, he's got, got a few off uh, out of structure plays. Yeah, he's got a good, good enough well. arm, and he's athletic enough to make plays. But these are all at the college level. It's a kind of question about whether that still holds at the next level. Because you know, if he was doing that and he runs a four three, it's like, oh, fine, that works at the next level as well. But he doesn't. He's he's athletic enough, which puts him in that gray area of does that work or not at the next level because essentially in that same broad bucket of athleticism you have christian ponder and patrick mahomes right one guy who can't do any of that at the next level and one guy who can do it all or which is he or where is he on that spectrum we don't know yet and we're not going to know until he gets out there and starts trying to do it against nfl defensive ends we talk a lot about spectrums based off of style, right? Where it's like, all right, here, here are a bunch of guys. Uh, we did this with Justin Fields last year, right? And I would describe, here are a bunch of guys who are very accurate when they throw the football, but also probably take way too many negative plays and don't deliver the ball quickly enough, statistically, right? Um, that, was, that was Justin Fields. And then when you project that to the NFL, you could come up with guys like Aaron Rodgers, like Russell Wilson, but you could also come up with guys like Ryan Tannehill, and then a whole bunch of guys who are not that good, historically but you know Tannehill was kind of my Justin Fields comp right kind of holds on to the ball takes too many sacks but when he throws it it's beautiful so Fields and Tannehill on that spectrum with Pickett it reminds he reminds me a little bit of Cody Kessler style right a guy that should and Alex Smith and and it's not because I mean it's like you don't have elite arm strength you have to win with your mind and processing and getting rid of the ball quickly, but you don't always do it. Now, Alex Smith was a much better player than, say, Cody Kessler. Similar styled players, right? When they threw it, it was accurate. It wasn't, didn't have the best velocity, but it was accurate. But Cody Kessler had far too many plays where he held onto the ball way too long. And I think Pickett has some of that to his game. I can't think of other guys that Honestly, stylistically, are along those lines. Stylistically, he plays the game a lot like Joe Burrow if everything Burrow did was worse. Yeah. Right? So his positives are the same as Burrow's. It's accuracy. It's general, you know, it's processing. It's getting the ball where it needs to go. He makes good plays out of structure. These are all things Joe Burrow does. He's not as accurate as Joe Burrow. He's not as good simply as Joe Burrow. And then if you look at Burrow's negative side of the ledger, certainly year one, like what was his biggest problem? It was holding on to the ball too long and causing some of your own problems behind an offensive line that was already garbage and going to be getting you killed, right? Now, he's gotten slightly better at that already, but that's still his biggest weakness is you hold on to the ball too long. And that's, oh, you know, that, that becomes a bigger problem the worse your offensive line is. Pickett is worse at that than Burrow is, and that was Burrow's biggest problem. So I, I'm not sure people are sort of appreciating just how off the scale – Kenny Pickett holds the ball. Like, that dude was averaging 3.2 seconds per play at the college yeah. level. Even if you strip out the, the scrambling around and the run thing, you know, the run plays and all that kind of stuff, he's still, like, he's at the kind of level where all of the quarterbacks around him are the type, are running quarterbacks. They're athletic guys that run around, and that's how they're going to make their, their bones at any level, college or pros. He is almost certainly not in that category. Like, he's just not that athletic. So he is playing the game with a style that is almost certainly not going to function at the next level. So somebody – so if you're taking him at six, like, you're taking him with the idea of, okay, not only is he starting day one because we need him to, but in the space of a few weeks of training camp, we are going to get that away from him 
and teach him to operate within a pocket and get the ball out of his hands like kind of a second faster on average, that feels... Those are the same concerns that we had with Zach Wilson during his rookie season. I mean, when we'd had, when we'd reviewed Jets games all throughout the year, we would say, look, Zach Wilson's average time to throw was three. Yes. But the, Which is A, faster than Pickett right now, and B, yeah. at a higher level. But I'm just saying, there were games where he was up at three without an average depth of target, like without the, without the triggers that get you to three, right? Without scrambling around yeah. and without throwing the ball down the field, but it's perfect, which was generally a concern for Zach Wilson. But it's a perfect um, encapsulation of what we're talking about, right? That the, the longest average times to throw in the NFL last season, Jalen Hurts, right? exactly who you think it would be 3.2 seconds Jameis 3.1 seconds Lamar Jackson 3.1 seconds Justin Fields 3.1 and then Zach Wilson 3.05 now number one every single one of those times is lower than Kenny Pickett's average right and generally young quarterbacks coming to the NFL the number goes up you know the processing thing the speed of the NFL game where that manifests itself is those guys process and act slower so if Kenny Pickett is already averaging the slowest average time to throw in the NFL and then you factor that number going up because he's coming into the NFL where the game is faster and his processing slows down by comparison that's just a recipe for like disaster yeah and I mean the counterpoint might be hey last year he had he had eight touchdowns in 2020 he had five on the ground uh, last year he did yeah have some productive runs he only had his his career high as a runner though 67 pff grade and again athleticism wise he's not i mean he could he could pick up first downs as a scrambler but that's got to be an auxiliary part of his game right but he now need like if you're going to survive at that level you now need to be jalen hurts right which is can you have can you bring 800 yards and like a, you know eight touchdowns on the ground probably my, not <clears throat> my bigger concern here with Pickett, previous high pff grade was in 2019 75 overall he was a 70 overall in 2020 he does break out to the 92.2 so the question hey why don't you trust your elite pff grade that he had there i think the overall body of work is a is a big question and and how do you weigh this He, he was in his fifth year starting football games for pittsburgh fourth full season and he finally broke out so does that mean he has it is he just a one year wonder is that more of a concern or a positive trait for Kenny Pickett. The other one-year wonders that have had success in recent years are guys like Kyler Murray, who was sitting behind Baker Mayfield, Joe Burrow, who was, his baseline was higher before his incredible breakout, right? right? Uh, Mitch Trubisky broke out, uh, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins had a one-year breakout at Ohio State. A lot of those guys were behind other quarterbacks at that point. And also, like, so last year in the NFL, the only two quarterbacks to rank inside the top 20 in PFF grade uh, and have a time to throw above 2.8 seconds are Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Like, you have to play the game as a freak if you're going to survive with that style of play. And that's like that's where Kenny Pickett is up against. If you're going to play with that style of play and hold the ball that freaking long, you need to be bringing something absurdly special to the table. And right now, there isn't really a lot of evidence that he is, at which point, if you're Carolina, you're drafting him at six, you're throwing him out there to the Wolves, I don't see a way that goes particularly well unless they – significantly change how he plays the game in a very short period of time. Well, I can't wait. Draft's uh, less than two weeks away here, Sam. We'll, we'll get answers to all of these questions. Pick it at number six in your mock to the Panthers. I mentioned Devin Lloyd going number seven to the New York Giants. Puts the Falcons up on the clock at eight, and you're going, uh, hey, you're wide, top wide receiver on the board. Yeah. Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. Yeah, and I think, you know, at this point, 
you're in this position where Atlanta gets their pick of all the wide receivers at uh, number eight. I think that's a good spot for them to be. I think they probably would go in that direction. Um, I, I, look, I, there are people out there that are not going to have Garrett Wilson as their number one wide receiver. That's fine. But I think the majority of people would have Garrett Wilson as their number one wide receiver simply because he is the best composite of all of the skills. He's got speed. He's got um, he's better at the catch point than you would think he is given his size. He's got run after the catch ability, even if he's not amazing at that. Um, he's just he, he's good at everything. And I think I think people undersell how important that is or where the ceiling of that is. Like Stefan Diggs is also good at everything. You know, just because you're that sort of good at everything thing doesn't simply mean you're a jack of all trades. You're never going to be elite. That is a ceiling for a guy like that. So Wilson to the Falcons. Look, we know that they've got a lot of work to do across the roster. Receiver is now probably their biggest non-quarterback need anyway. So I like this fit for, for Wilson to the Falcons here. You put the Seahawks at nine and pairing them with Malik Willis. This was one of my favorites. I'm not saying I was. No, I'm just saying since they moved up at nine. I was thinking this might be one of their their best-case scenarios, I think, if you're a Seahawks fan. Getting Malik Willis out of Liberty. Yeah. I, at this point... Baker's interested, though, in Seattle, he said, right? Good for Baker. <laughs> Just saying. I don't, think that, I don't think Seattle's too interested in Baker, unfortunately. They should be. Um, if you're Seattle and... Like, I think the Panthers taking Kenny Pickett at six would be, would be fantastic for Seattle. Sure. And in fact, every other team, basically, in the NFL is looking at that and applauding that move for Seattle it's because it takes a quarterback off the board that I doubt would be your number one quarterback and puts a guy like Malik Willis into play for you so essentially Seattle gets to do a quarterback what the Falcons did at wide receiver which is have their pick minus Kenny Pickett Um, you know if he if Malik Willis gets past Detroit at two which I think is still a possibility uh if I, I don't think that the Panthers are going to hitch their wagon to Malik Willis, at which point he's pretty good chance he makes it as far as Seattle at nine. And I don't know why you wouldn't take him at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I like that pick for Seattle. My only question is, do they end up just trying to load up the rest of the roster? I, I feel like they've got the same question everyone else does, right? The Falcons and some of the other teams that might need a quarterback, other than maybe the Panthers, who are at this point of probably desperation at the position. Do the Seahawks build the roster first, build it back up before they make that quarterback investment. But I like Malik Willis at nine there. How do the Jets feel? Jets fans feel about number 10 here? Jamison Williams out of Alabama. So now your number three receiver becomes the second receiver off the board here with the Jets making the Jets two picks. Sauce Gardner at corner, Jamison Williams at receiver. Have to say, I do love this fit. I love Jamison Williams fit with everybody. But it's just it's when you stack up his very specific skill set of initial burst, second gear type of burst, and then you just throw that into the receiving core, which includes um, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis. I mean, I like that. Yeah, a lot of complimentary pieces now for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, I, Jamison Williams, he has that skill set that fits anywhere, right? I mean, I described him in this mock as a healthy version of Will Fuller who even if you look at Will Fuller's production, you're like, eh, I mean, that's kind of average. Will Fuller's impact was always felt way beyond his individual production. It was like what he does to coverages on any given play. Just simply by being out there, he changes how teams have to play the coverage. Because you can't, you can't just line up with a dude on an island against Will Fuller who doesn't, have, who doesn't have enough speed or technique to live with him and ignore it. You have to have a coverage that gives you the capacity 
to lean some help towards that corner. Every play. Um, and if you don't, boom, touchdown. So Jamison Williams has the kind of speed that will do the same thing. And that makes everybody better. It doesn't just allow Corey Davis to become like a number two and Elijah Moore to operate and, and those kinds of things. It, it changes the coverage those guys are seeing. So no, not only is Corey Davis you know, able to take more of a back seat and not be the number one guy in the offense, but he also has coverages that are different. He's not facing you know, bracket coverage and tighter uh, attention from defensive backs. He has more space to work in, which makes him better. So, I mean, this is a pick I think that makes sense for any offense, but in particular the Jets who are trying to surround Zach Wilson with enough playmakers. Okay, this next pick is a controversial one. Controversial. Anytime you don't pick a need, Sam, yeah, the people, people get upset. They do. Um, and I am, a, I am a BPA for life, right? Best <laughs> player. You never put that in a T-shirt. Available. We should, right? BPA for life. Oh, yeah. I have the old shirt, draft good players. Um, but I've changed a little bit. It's not a blind BPA as we... You know, had that heated debate a few weeks back about Tyler Linderbaum with no right. path to the field. BPA for life right up until you don't like it. Here's the thing. You draft the best players at the most valuable positions. I mean, that's the, ultimately the strategy. Now you look, so this is the Washington, Washington Commanders select Evan Neal, Alabama tackler, tackle. The mock draft sim gives it an A. Yeah, that's But all that has nothing to do, it doesn't look at the Washington depth chart. Um, there needs to be, when you have a first-round player, there does need to be a path to the field, I think. So here's what I'll ask you. If you draft Evan Neal, Mm -hmm. here's the current depth chart in the situation in Washington. You have Charles Leno at left tackle coming off an excellent season. You had uh, three players who were average to very good along – sorry, all five players along the offensive line, average to very good last season. Charles Leno at left tackle. You have Samuel Cosme, second-round pick last year, who had a very good rookie year. Um, both of those guys are under contract for the next three seasons at tackle. So that, then we kick Evan Neal into guard. You have Wes Schweitzer. Uh, he's got one year left at right guard. Andrew Norwell, he's got two years left at left guard. So where are you playing Evan Neal in this, uh, well, this mix here? Let me answer firstly by saying I don't care. Right? The strategy behind this pick is it doesn't matter. You take the best player because he's incredible value at this point in the draft, and you say, we got lucky. We, we, this guy landed in our laps, and it does, we'll figure out where to play him later. So they grab him right now, and then you look, okay, now where are we playing him? We're not going to bench Charles Leno. We just gave him money. He's been good. We're probably not benching Samuel Cosme. He looked good as, he, as year one, and he's a steal if he works out well because of where we drafted him. So you're playing him a guard somewhere, at which point let him battle it out for either guard spot. He'll win one of them, job done. That's it? Yeah. So you're and then, drafted. look, he's contingency if Samuel Cosme doesn't kick on in year two. And, you know, it was a flash in the pan. You end up needing him at right tackle, whatever it is. But, like, the, strat- like, the whole point about picks like this is we thought Evan – like, if you're Washington, it's like Washington had Evan Neal number one on their board. And Evan Neal is suddenly available number 11 overall. You're like, jackpot, pick it, and we'll figure out what to do with it later on. My, my only pushback to that, though – is all of the every team building decision is based off of the fact that you've got you have limited resources whether it's draft capital finances whatever it might be and you're trying to ma- you do want to maximize playing time if you assume if so you don't want a Charles Leno or Samuel Cosby on the bench given the investment that you made in those guys maybe Schweitzer at 
right guard, but then you're sitting there saying, okay, I'm drafting a guard at 11 who eventually is going to kick out the tackle. Just saying it's not – But there's literally – As a BPA for life guy, it's not always that simple. There, I do think they're also – you need to factor in your resources. My, I, I've changed my tune through the years, though, to like nobody on my current depth chart is going to keep me from getting a great player. So maybe I'm contradicting that there's, a little bit, but at the same time, I want to be able to get this guy on the field. Yeah, but there's, like, there's literally no downside to picking an amazing player who ends up forcing somebody that you thought was good to the bench because you can still trade away somebody, right? So let's say you're Washington. You bring in Evan Neal. Evan Neal in training camp looks freaking amazing. Like The dude looks phenomenal. You end up going, we can't have him starting either on the bench at the start of the season or even a guard. It's a waste of everybody's time and resource so sorry samuel you've done nothing wrong you're taking a seat in the bench you're going to play a guard or whatever right either you end up putting evan neal tackle he's amazing everything's great and cosme battles for guard or cosme ends up going to the bench you trade cosme away and you get like a second round pick back for him because he looked good year one like whatever you're not going to lose out by stumbling into an amazing player the the trading of a Samuel Cosme or a Charles Leno, I can get behind. You find another tackle needy team or whatever it is. It's just uh, you have to deal with dead money issues and all that stuff, which you don't necessarily want to uh, Right, and that's why all things being equal, obviously you wouldn't take a tackle with this pick. But the whole point is all things are not equal because you're grabbing a guy that in theory you think is way better than where he's landed, and you just, you're picking value. Look, that part I agree with is the fact that once you draft a good player – the residual effect on the rest of your roster, you can kind of make it work, recoup draft picks in other places. So Evan Neal going to the Commanders at 11. That's one of the bigger surprises, I think, of your mock. Uh, Minnesota Vikings getting cornerback Derek Stingley at 12. Yeah, and, and again, by the way, another one of those ripple effects of Edge going 1-2-3. Like Evan Neal is a guy that's supposed to be gone in the top five, six picks somewhere. Yeah. All of a sudden winds up sitting there. At 11 overall, and a team like Washington's like, oh, this isn't expected, but we have the, to do it. He's too good. The one thing I was the, the places historically where I have loved non-need picks, say, um, the Giants selected Jason Pierre-Paul when they already had – it was when they already had Strahan in Umanura, I think, or was it the next group of – either? I know they had two starting pass rushers, and they drafted – Jason Pierre-Paul because it's like all right you can you can live you can put three on the field and use them yeah Uh, when the Vikings drafted Randy Moss on paper it's like well you have Chris Carter who's one of the league's best you have Jake Reed who's one of the best number twos in the NFL you don't need Randy Moss but Randy Moss is special plus you could also play all three I think it's it's harder to swallow a tackle when you already have two tackles you already have two pretty good guards there's there's not a it's not as easy to play all three. Yeah, sure. It's always easier to bring in a guy who doesn't necessarily start but is part of a position group that features a rotation because automatically you can play more than two of them at any given moment. All right, this next one I do think might be a dream scenario for the Vikings, though. Derek Stingley, uh, once a generational-looking cornerback prospect who comes with question marks now because of injuries and a a drop-off in play, uh, but you do see the potential there. You see what he's capable of. You're picking at number 12. You've got this uh, now annual need just to get youth, you know, successful young players at corner. So I think uh, I like this a lot for the Vikings. Yeah, it, it was a move. I mean, the, the mock draft sim gives it an A+. Plus, and this was one of those things where it was difficult to get the mock sim to actually produce this pick in order to get the grade. 
You know, you have to keep running the mock for to find a mock where Derek Stingley falls to number twelve because he's gone before this happens yeah. almost every single time. I I do think that it's more likely than it should be that Derek Stingley ends up sliding down this draft a little bit. But you're right, a team like Minnesota just makes so much sense to stop that fall because they do need cornerbacks. They have that LSU connection with Patrick Peterson coming back to offer some kind of mentorship or whatever to to Stingley there. And we have seen that incredible elite season from him. And while, you know, Renner was talking about it a little bit of of where um, those work at the, the pro day, you know, things that he did, right? Where it's like he looked like he wasn't even doing it. He barely, get, you know, looked like he'd never know, he'd never been told how to do any of this stuff. And yet still posted high-end numbers for his position. Like, I mean, that shows what kind of athlete we're talking about here. So inc- incredible athlete, dude who's got elite, elite play at cornerback as a freshman. Um, and then, so, you know, these are two things. These have him, like, in the top five. These make him the best overall prospect in the draft. And then what drags that down is the last two years of injury and not great play. So how, how do you balance those things? And if you're a team like Minnesota who they haven't hit the reset button, but they're trying to change in some way the stagnation that's happened to the roster over the last couple of years. I mean, one thing that could change it in a massive way is rediscovering 2019 Derek Stingley. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, how do you weigh those those jumps where it didn't look like he was trying? Well, the fact that he put up good numbers, I mean, that's really what you want to come away with, right? Like, this guy's an incredible athlete. That's what he is. He looks like it on film with uh, – I mean, there were times as a freshman he was making it look easy as far as breaking up passes and just being – in phase with with really good receivers so i mean there's a bit of a concern that it didn't look like he was trying or prepared for some of the jumps on the other hand the fact that he still did well it's like i mean all you're trying to gauge is the actual on-field athleticism i think you saw that with bad technique so stingley at 12 i I, i'm i'm back on board with stingley and sauce as 1a 1b at cornerback i do think there's a bit of a drop-off between those two guys as prospects so I'd be thrilled with getting Stingley at number 12. Probably would have taken him at 11 if I was Washington as well. No, that's you just can me. do that in your mock draft. I will do that in my mock draft whenever I get an opportunity. Uh, back to number 13, the Houston Texans, the pick they get from the Cleveland Browns in the Deshaun Watson trade. You're going Kyle Hamilton here, another guy. I mean, think back. Look at these last three picks here, Sam. Evan Neal, Derek Stingley, Kyle Hamilton – all of these guys were top five locks, at least in yeah. PFF mocks, um, just a month or two ago. And it, I think the Evan Neal fall is more just the way you structured the mock draft. But Stingley falling because of question marks and Kyle Hamilton falling because of uneven runs at pro days. You know, you could get some good players here. So I, had, I have Houston halting the slide from Kyle Hamilton. If Hamilton doesn't get selected at this spot by Houston – he could be in for a Derwin James, uh-oh, uh, the, the player, hashtag number 33. Wow. Quick. The, that Chargers player. Cut bleep, that. Bleep it, bleep it. Cut that out. Uh, he could be in for a slide like that where he ends up, you know, a, a potential, like a top five talent ends up getting drafted. I mean, he could slide 21, the Patriots. Like that's as far as he might end up because look at the teams between Houston at 13 and New England at 21. I don't know if any of those teams are grabbing a safety. Now, okay, it, yeah. it's like Washington, right? At some point, somebody's going to pick him for value. But unlike, 
you know, he does like he is coming with like a four seven forty. Like there are teams that are not going to want that. Um, so so Hamilton becomes it's not this, a four seven. It kind of is. It was four five nine at the combine, and then people said it was a four seven at his pro day. So it's a four five nine. You judge the guys by their best. By their best. You I'll judge tell you the who guy would not by your one crusty scout that had it at a four seven in person at his pro day. That's the important number. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying. So a guy that plays safety. So immediately we've got like position value problems. Now you've got four seven. It's and then like there's, there's a lot of reasons for teams to be like oh, I'm not I'm not taking that risk. So if, if if Houston doesn't do it at 13, and you know in this in this mock they did. Uh, he could be in for a real slide down that first round. First off, the fact that the player fell the way he did was absurd. And that yeah, was coming but, off but it happened. a lot of reports that he had a bad pro day that wasn't necessarily – that was more like interview stuff and whatever it was. But people are ridiculous. They missed on, on that guy. I'll tell you what, though. If, if, if he gets to the Chargers at 17, they could, they could draft Kyle Hamilton and pair him <laughs> with a the player. They could cash in on another – dropping safety they have Nasir Adderley there which you he's been okay he hasn't really uh been great for the Chargers I could absolutely see Hamilton being there because you know they're in a pretty good position where the the Chargers uh, the Chargers don't have massive needs but um I don't know if I agree with Hamilton could keep sliding because he feels like the player where no matter what you have at safety you find you can find a way to squeeze that skill set yeah and if he didn't run a four seven you might be more inclined to do that but if because he did I don't know how many teams are going to want to jump into that. Yeah, I mean, every, everywhere else, I, I mentioned this on the other podcast, the way we analyze athleticism and map it to grades, taking their best number, by the way, as part of that equation. Um, I've seen other athletic metrics that the, the, the overall workout numbers from Kyle Hamilton far more positive than negative. I don't think it's going to really affect him. It does, I will say, though, like what did Earl Thomas run? 4-3 something, like a high 4-3-8s or whatever it was. When you're trying to justify a safety in the top 10. Yes. You want the speed box absolutely to be ticked. And you just don't have that from Hamilton. So the fact that he could be somewhere in that 10 to 20 range, I do think is realistic. This now gives the Texans, uh, Kyle Hamilton at 13, the Notre Dame safety, and uh, Trayvon Walker, the edge at Georgia. Uh, Say what you want about Hamilton's 40 times, but that's adding a lot of athleticism to the team because Hamilton has great game speed and range. They're almost like, they're they're almost, I mean, they're from two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? On, on the Trayvon Walker, you've got this guy who is athletically about as picture perfect as you, as you could possibly paint a prospect. Like if you were asking an NFL team to go into a lab and like you know mess with the sliders, create a player on Madden, like what would the athletic profile be? They'd come out with Trayvon Walker essentially for an edge rusher, and then he'd be like, "All right, now we need to put the gameplay attributes in there because we don't have any right now." That's what the, that's what. Trayvon Walker is to the Texans. Hamilton isn't like the other end of the scale entirely, but he's headed in that direction. He's a guy that potentially posted a 4-7-40. He's got, okay, big size and those kinds of things, but his game playability is off the charts. Like, there's that one of his highlight reel plays, that famous play where he makes a play on the side to makes a play on the ball towards the sideline on the opposite side of the field the one he started on. And if you watch like the end zone copy of that view, you're, you're more than three seconds into the play before Kyle Hamilton even appears in the shot to make a play on the sideline in the direction away from where he started that everybody's flowing to. You know, it's nuts. Like he has literally no right to be involved in that play whatsoever, let alone actually intercept the pass. That's... 
I don't overthink that. That's the kind of instinct that you can't teach. You can't – no amount of going into the lab and getting the creative player and, like, sitting him down and trying to, like, teach – you know, matchsticks holding the eyes open and rolling through film. Like, you can spend the next 10,000 years trying to show him plays, and he'll never be able to do that if it's not innate. Hamilton can already do that. That, you know, we, we talk about the kind of head start that the being in your head gives you. Like, you get a couple of yards head start because you see it faster than everybody else. I don't know how many yards of a head start it's giving him, but that gave him a lot on that play. Which means so much more at safety. Yeah. Uh, I, the, what, is, what do you call it? The eye head start? Vision head start? Yeah, something like that. VHS, vision head start, yeah. VHS. Yeah. See, look. That's how I remember it. Yeah, no, you created. That only works, though, for boomers. Yeah, and it's like it's a double entendre, right? Yes. Because you'd watch a VHS. Uh-huh. VHS is vision. Yeah. In Nobody football. under the age of, like, 35 understands what you're saying now. Yeah, so uh, back in the day, if you wanted to watch stuff, you could watch it on a VHS tape. <laughs> yeah, you could record stuff and watch it later. So I like that. Look, I told you to make up draft terms. Have you thought about making a tape to uh, show people how you're going to change the game? You can watch my VHS of how I'm going to change the game of football. I could do that. You could. You I send could. it out, right on it. Send know, it to every team. Right, label it. Steve's, Steve's guy to change the Steve's game of football. Changing, changing the game. <laughs> mail it out. Snail mail. Sounds way more pretentious big, as like, I look back. Yeah, a big padded envelope. Send it out to teams. Uh, maybe you could do a little uh, one-pager on what VHS is and try to get it to uh, scouting departments everywhere. Why don't you do that? Uh-huh. Vision Head Start. Okay. That they usually call instincts, Sam. Call it instincts. But it's not instinct. It's not. No. He's not born with it. Right. It's like Hamilton couldn't do that right it's out of the It's not like crib. a divine sixth sense. You're just seeing it faster than other people. You yeah. understand where it is. So good VHS, good zone length as well. 96th percentile arms. It is crazy, though. When you, we have his pro day 40 at 472. Yeah, see? That four safeties is ninth percentile. Yeah, it's bad. Now, if you take his 459, it's 34th percentile. It's much more reasonable because everything else is pretty much above average except for his 20-yard shuttle. But he's got a sub-7-3 cone. We've got the change of direction. You've got the, the, the vertical and the broad. That's the, that's the part that's weird, right? The explosion numbers are there. And I think this is why you can explain away the 40. I mentioned this when he did run it. If you have great burst and explosion and you don't have a great 40 time, there's probably a technique issue in your first 10 yards, in your, in, in your starts. And I don't really care if my safety is a good starter, so to speak, in running his 40. I do care if he has a burst and explosion that shows up on the field, plus VHS. It's a good combination. Hmm. So maybe Kyle Hamilton shouldn't be dropping at all. I think either way, just the fact that he's a safety brings him in risk. The fact that he wasn't a – he didn't have the player-level – college production the player had two full seasons in college and was the top graded safety at florida state top safety in the nation both years that he was a full season player hamilton doesn't necessarily have that so there's always some risk before the 40 but now the texans have him and trayvon walker i think they're going to find a really good player yeah between the two and i don't hate the idea that they've um that they have sort of split the resources between those opposite ends of the spectrum, right? The fact that on one pick, they've gone with the super upside freak athlete, and then we'll figure out how to make him into an amazing player. And on the other side, they've got, we've got a guy who is an amazing player already, and we'll hope that the 40 time essentially is enough to drag him downwards, and then we can still be an amazing player uh, immediately. All right, you got the Baltimore Ravens up at 14. This time you're going Jordan Davis out of Georgia. I've always felt like he is a, a Ravens player, right? Isn't he? Like... 
the Ravens love players that are built like that, just a giant body in the middle. And then, you know, for, for them, I think they have different criteria, essentially, as to what those interior players need to do in order to justify their status in the team. It doesn't necessarily involve bringing a ton of pressure to the table. It's just occupy an absolute massive gulf of space and play as much as humanly possible. And, you know, whether it's Michael Pierce, whether it's Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell is still there, which, again, I mean, Calais Campbell, as freaky as he is, isn't Jordan Davis freaky. But, you know, I'm sure the man knows a trick or two about how to play at six foot nine and 300 pounds and whatever. Wait, did they bring Campbell back? I believe so, yeah. Oh, did I miss that somewhere along the way? With, uh, they, they have had those, those really good run-stopping nose tackles through the years. Yeah, there you go. Calais Campbell, still for the uh, Baltimore Ravens. They brought him back. That's good. I mean, he's, he doesn't have many years left, probably. He's creeping up to our age. I mean, they'll always be the same distance. Yeah. But uh, he's creeping up into our age range, we'll say. Don't, don't say our age like we're the same. You're 40. I'm a man. I'm 40. You're just— I'm not 40. You're a boy. Yeah. Under 40. We're not the same age. Give it two months. <laughs> Give it two months, three months, and you'll be there. Um, so, yeah, Jordan Davis, I, I, th- I think he's a, an excellent Raven. Also, with how they blitz— you don't necessarily. Do you want guys, you know, dominating? It's not that you need guys dominating as pass rushers well, up front. You want them to take advantage of one on ones, push, the, yes. compress the pocket. And this is like that old that adage you you hear when you this guy eats up blockers. That is valuable in the Raven system. Well, Baltimore has the capacity to keep bodies off Jordan Davis, which I think is quite important, actually. Yeah. So one of the things I think that gets a little bit overlooked about Jordan Davis's tape is he can play pretty upright and top-heavy at times, um, which isn't just a problem. When, so he offsets that well by essentially almost always making first contact on the blocker. So if it's one-on-one, even if he's going to be at a leverage disadvantage basically to, toward anybody, he usually offsets that by the fact that he's got incredibly long arms and he makes contact first. So he makes the punch first, gets into the guy's chest, and at that point it doesn't matter if he's below him. The, the leverage is offset. You can't. You can't reset. He's already got you beat. Where he gets into trouble, though, is not even strictly double teams because basically everybody loses against a true double team. But combination blocks, like routine zone combination blocks, when two guys are on him initially, those two guys are able to control him and kind of jolt him backwards in a significant way. And then once he's moving backwards, the momentum of a dude that heavy is just it's out of whack. Like your chance of re-anchoring that and going in a different direction isn't great. So... The greater a, capa- a team's capacity to keep multiple bodies off Jordan Davis, the better. And Baltimore, given how much they blitz, it almost ensures that everybody has a one-on-one. And Jordan Davis with a one-on-one just has so many tools to make it almost impossible to stop the guy. He's bigger than you are. He's stronger than you are. His arms are longer than you are. He can run faster than you are. He's got a weird amount of quickness for a dude that size. Like if you're an offensive lineman, there's so much working against you one-on-one that means it's almost certain he's going to have some kind of impact. Uh, Dontari Poe is the last player of similar size of freaky combine. Not at Jordan Davis level freaky, but the last player. And he went at, I think it was 13 for Poe, right after Fletcher Cox. Um, Poe never really, he developed into a good player, never developed into that high-end player. I'll be keeping an eye on that, I think, from Jordan Davis and Poe historically. I mean, Vita Vea is the other one, right? But Vita, I think, had a different level of production. We as did, well. yeah. But he's the last freaky giant monster to go high, 
who yeah. I mean he's also now become. And he's panned out as a guy that just yeah. with incredible strength pushes the pocket. Right. I, I mean, can he, see team seeing that in Jordan Davis. Yeah, Vita Vea was always a much better pass rusher than Jordan Davis has been. He was also, by the way, a better run defender than Jordan Davis has been, and yes. he played much more. So Vea generally was a better prospect. Despite but, not having the length, right? Didn't have the length. And right. Maybe and, that's the position. And wasn't um, – like didn't have it wasn't anything like the athlete didn't have anything like the like he ran a five ten as opposed to a four eight or whatever like three tenths of a second for like that's it's significant. All right, so the Eagles are up at fifteen. They're going to go Devonte Wyatt, Jordan Davis's teammate on the interior. In the past, you've given Wyatt to the Ravens. You're going with him to the Eagles here at fifteen. The Eagles end up coming back a couple of picks later, and they're taking Edge George Karloftis from Purdue. I like the way you're. Comping him to Brandon Graham, current yeah. Eagle, and I, I think Eagles Renner. Legend. Yeah, I think Renner came up with that comp, and the more that he said it, or the more that I've thought about it, the more I think it's actually a really apt one. Karloftis. Um, so I think the if the Eagles came out of this draft with Wyatt and Karloftis, I think that would be fantastic for them. And I think it's very reasonable actually to suggest that they'll have an option to do that, whether it's this order: Wyatt first, Karloftis second, or the opposite. Karloftis first, Wyatt second. I think there's a good chance they end up with both those players if they want them. Um, and they're basically ready-made Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham replacements. Okay, the chances of them becoming Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham are small because, obviously, but Devontae Wyatt is a pretty big body inside, can do everything. He's got great quickness for a guy that size, is productive against the run and the pass, will live in the backfield. He's like he's your Fletcher Cox replacement. And then Karloftis, that dude, I really love the Brandon Graham thing because he just keeps working. He's got good hands. He gets pressure probably more than he's going to get sacks just given his profile. But he wins all the time. That dude had a uh, pass rush win rate of 23.6% last year. That's better than Thibodeau. It's be- like, that's insane. Um, and he will get you pressure, which is what Graham did. And even if he didn't always end it with a sack – he was incredibly productive for years playing with that style. I, I feel like power first edges just don't, they just don't get enough credit in general, right? I mean, you, you tend to get productive players like a Karloftis and they will go a little bit lower. He's got, um, he's kind of a one year breakout as well. He was very good in 2019. Karloftis only played 148 snaps in 2020, but he was excellent last year um, with a 90 plus pass rush grade, including the, that really high pass rush win rate, as you said. Um, I like the concept of the Eagles replenishing on the defensive line. I think they've tried to take a few stabs at that the last couple of years, but they've always been at their best um, with, you know, a top five type of defensive line. So adding Devontae Wyatt and then adding Karloftis at uh, 18. Uh, I like that as a move. Uh, Maybe a couple other places that they could go as well. But the team that the Eagles traded with, I mean, is is this the best draft that you had? As far as if the fans come out with these two picks, if the team comes out with these two picks, they're going to be thrilled. Say what you want about what the Saints did to get to 16 and 19 with their two picks. Um, but the, I think the two, the two lines of reasoning for why the Saints did this, one, they're trying to make another move to go get a QB. Mm-hmm. Or two, they have two massive needs. They need a tackle. Yeah. They need a receiver. <clears throat> and they're just going to fill those needs um, in positions of value on the board. And, and that's what happens here. Charles Cross from uh, the tackle from Mississippi State, he goes at 16 here. 
And then you have Chris Olave at 19, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. Charles Cross, another guy that's been going in the top 10 everywhere. I think he's going to be number two on our finalized draft board. Mike Renner loves him. One of the best pure pass protectors in the draft. Fills the Saints' left tackle need. And then Chris Olave. Go back to the uh, possession receiver from Ohio State well if you're the Saints. I would love this if I was a Saints fan, these two, poten- uh, these two potential picks. Yeah, I mean, if, if this is their idea that they're going to – they just want – two picks in the first round this year forget next year we'll deal with next year next year uh, but right now we have two holes that we really need to fill with a starting offensive tackle and a starting wide receiver if that's the plan and they they're here at 16 and charles cross is on the board i think they would be absolutely ecstatic i mean that and again that's it's the ripple effect so those three defensive ends going one two three all of a sudden a guy like charles cross is sitting there at 16 when he's been a pick at six to the panthers a lot all those guys like that would be insane for New Orleans, but a move that they would run up to the the announcing table and be like, "Hell yeah, podium!" That's the word, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's cool. I'm here. I'm here for you. Thanks. Appreciate it. You got it. Let me know if you need a metaphor or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe that's a little bit beyond you today. Never know. Uh, now the mind's refreshed. I'm back at it. I like the way your only good metaphor was in describing how you can't come up with good metaphors. How bad my metaphor yeah. is? It was uh, aging Vince McMahon trying to take a stunner. Yeah. Oh, painful. Painful events. They got it, though. They eventually got it, just as I would with a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah, so I would love that if I was a Saints fan. Uh, Chargers, so they're picking at 17. Do I, def- do I have to do a quick recap or just send people to the website? Nah, the mock's there. It's PFF.com. The, I even tweeted it. It's the, the, you tweeted it. Okay, PFF.com. You just got to go read it on the website. Or the Twitter account. The What is it? PFF NFL pod. Yeah, PFF NFL pod. We tweeted it out. PFF.com. It's everywhere. Sam's you mock. You've got the whole list. We'll tweet out the actual list later probably and all that stuff. But um, Trevor Penning at 17 to the Chargers, the Northern Iowa tackle. Again, I I think the Chargers are in this really nice, this sweet spot, right? If they want to fill their right tackle need, I think there's a couple options there that match value-wise. If a player like Kyle Hamilton does fall, I think the Chargers – the more I think about this, I think that's where um, C.D. Lamb went, right, the Cowboys? That 15, and this is where, uh, did the player go 17th as well? That might be the best spot in the draft. 17. You're going to get a top 10 caliber player that falls, and you could pounce, or there's probably a player good enough. I would just want to pick 17th every year. Okay. Because of the uh, possibilities that we're talking through. You could probably arrange that. I mean, just by trading every year. You could just be the trade to 17. Just trade to 17. Yeah. No matter what. I'll, I'll give you number three for 17. It's the sweet spot. It's probably the best level of investment. Get a player that drops or fill the, a need with a value pick. 17. And that's what the Chargers here, uh, do here with Trevor Penning. Yeah. Um, I, Penning's a, a kind of polarizing prospect all of a sudden. Uh, there's a lot of people that love him. I mean, I, I'm talking to Trevor Sikama about it and saying, look, as soon as the videos of that dude at the senior ball came out, he was going to get overdrafted by 10 spots, right, just by burying people on the ground trying to start a fight every single rep. Our coaches love that stuff, right? Oh, of course. Of so course. he was going to go higher than he should. But there are some problems in his tape. Now, you have to sort of weigh that with, well, he's also working with Duke, you know? Duke will fix those problems for you. He's with Duke too? Yeah, yeah. Duke oh, so we right can't at. say anything negative about him. No. 
So, but those problems are there from his tape, and the tape's in Northern Iowa, so it's not like you can, you know, there's some concerns there. So Duke does good work. I think it's reasonable that he ends up somewhere in the middle of the first round rather than like way at the top that I think Duke is trying to talk him up into or significantly lower than that, which is where like Mike, right, Mike Renner might have him. Uh, this, to me, feels like a sweet spot. And if Charles Cross goes one spot ahead, this is the kind of tackle run type of spot that the Chargers might just jump on. The thing about Penning coming from a small school, you do want to see domination in small school competition. We didn't see it until this year, but he did dominate this past season from a grading standpoint, especially from a run game perspective. Did have some pass pro issues at the Senior Bowl. You know, you know there's still work to do there, but a monster, 6'7", 330 plus, and, uh, you know, classic right tackle, Sam, as a, as a mauler. So I like that for, uh, for the Chargers. The Chargers also, because I think they're good everywhere else, you, you just you just don't want to have Storm Norton forced to play right tackle again, right? And I don't think Penning will be that level as a pass protector, even as a rookie. So that, that should be an upgrade there, I think, as well. Yeah. Uh, we discussed the Eagles and the Saints. So that jumps up to number 20, the Pittsburgh Steelers taking another tackle. It's Bernard Ryman out of Central Michigan. Where are we going to play Ryman here if you're the Steelers? I'd give him the left, left tackle. tackle. Game, yeah. Um, Over Dan Moore, who is a mid-round rookie was a below average tackle last season. Yeah. Uh, in a really easy situation in terms of Roethlisberger getting the ball out of his hands faster than any other quarterback in the NFL by a significant margin. Immediately this year, you have to factor in whoever is starting a quarterback for the Steelers. The job of pass protection gets harder. And, you know, some Steelers fans have said, yeah, but whoever's there is going to be mobile this year, right? Trubisky, he can run. So it's going to be easier. Like, yeah, but that doesn't, that you you don't, as a tackle, you don't really gain from the quarterback running around. Now, you might gain in terms of, like, the sack number goes down. So, on paper, you look better. But your job gets harder because the quarterback is, A, holding onto the ball longer. B, is not necessarily where you think he is, right? For all the flaws of a guy who can't really move being back there in the pocket, at least you know where the hell he is and therefore know where you need to be. You know what I mean? Like, when a guy is oh, rushing to try and hit, when you know where he's trying to get to, it's a hell of a lot easier to get in the way. When you don't really know where the quarterback is going to be because he's running around, that's, your, your life isn't easier. The bottom line in that analysis is if, if someone says a mobile quarterback is going to help your offensive line, it's just not true if you're individually evaluating the offense. They're only line. thinking about it in terms of the sack number. Like, and he most, might take less sacks because he runs around, but that isn't helping But most of the job. time, that's also false, because if you are a mobile quarterback or you're trying to extend plays, most of those guys who are not Patrick Mahomes and they take more sacks, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, most of them. Josh Allen's really good at avoiding sacks. Patrick Mahomes is good at avoiding sacks. But it, that's based off this, like, picture in your head that, like, oh, you're going to whiff on blocks and your quarterback's going to get out of it. Like, that doesn't make you a good tackle yeah. just because in, your quarterback got out of your bad block. Right. And in, in particular, in PFF system, like, that's not helping the tackle at all, right? The that's point, what I'm saying. Like, the point it's where you're changing lying, that perspective of what does helping the tackle mean. At the point where you're lying face first in the turf and your defensive end is running towards the quarterback, whether the quarterback is able to escape that or not is not affecting your grade, right? You already lost. Right. Your, your your record on this play is already heavy defeat. Nothing that happens after that changes that. The only thing that changes is, is the quarterback capable of turning your crappy play 
into something positive for the offense and potentially extending the drive and keeping it going and giving you more chances to play. But that, I mean, all that's doing is giving you another opportunity to either win or lose the play. If you're bad, it's not helping, right? It's just giving you more chances to be bad and lose. So either way, the Steelers need offensive line help. If Malik Willis is off the board, I could see this happening. I would say, though, I think they're going Tyler Linderbaum if this situation presents itself. Whatever. I think they would go center here. Missed opportunity here. Keep the same colors. We, t- we discussed this. <laughs> Linderbaum's the guy for your, the Steelers. Your dude, what was his name? Pony. It's the Pony, yeah. yeah. The, the Pony. Andrew Phil Pony. The Pony said that Linderbaum wasn't a Steeler. No, no, no. He said, he said classic Steeler, I think. He said he didn't like Penny. Oh, he didn't like Penny. Just because they don't draft tackles. Okay. Don't draft Even them. though Penny clearly is... is they just, they just had, they had Dan Moore start as a rookie. They're probably high on him developing, and they've got uh, a core for it. high on him developing, but not... Because they're probably, because they, they drafted him, and they're probably high on him developing, because that's they what they did. They drafted the center as well. Yeah. But, but he, was, he was really bad, though. <laughs> couldn't even snap. Kendrick Green. And he's a guard. He's a guard. So the previous center they had couldn't snap, and he was an all-pro. And they loved him. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's really confusing in that building. It's really confusing, <laughs> Pittsburgh. Anyway, they're going to go Bernard Ryman here in your mock. Puts the Patriots up at number 21, Trent McDuffie from Washington. The only I pushed back on this a couple weeks ago just because Patriots traditionally have been a man-heavy team, and you might not want McDuffie in that press man situation. He's an awesome zone corner. I think the Patriots are changing their scheme a little bit, and boy, McDuffie's just a really good player. I could, I could see this happening. Yeah, in real I also life. don't think he's like I, he doesn't have the length, obviously. Yeah, I'm not saying he's useless in press. Right, yeah. but like he can play press man. It's yeah. just that he's not going to do what Sauce Gardner is able to do in terms of like completely eradicating a player through physicality and like blotting out the sun at the catch point. But he will stick to a guy in press man. It's just that that you know if a quarterback wants to feed the target, <clears throat> there's going to be a window to put that ball because the dude's just not big enough. Yeah. I like McDuffie. I like him a lot. I could, I could definitely see this as one of the plays for the Patriots. I do think they're going to – there's a few of the tackles are off the board in this particular mock. I could see them drafting offensive line for the future, drafting um, big dudes up front, you know, if a Jordan Davis falls, whatever it might be. But um, cornerback need as well is, is pretty high for the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, the, the length thing is insane at the catch point if you ever get to that situation. I mean, I, I played against a corner that was like 6'2", pretty long. And we would do, we would do like red zone drills, right? So it was literally like an end zone fade, which is already like an idiot low percentage play. So obviously we're drilling that. <laughs> like, so, right. so you know, you release off the line, you get to the back pylon, you look back, and this six foot two corner with like pterodactyl arms is just up here, literally blocking out the sun between. Like you can't even see the ball arriving, let alone make a play on it. Just because you're outmatched, man. Yeah. So like, I'm just saying that if you have a corner like that, like Sauce Gardner. The difference between that and a dude that's like 5'10 with stumpy little hands, like that, that guy's not getting in the way of you and the ball. You can see it. What I write it's for a big sauce. difference. Length that plays at the catch point. Yeah, for that's sauce. exactly what I'm talking about. I'm trying to just get like good one-liners on everybody. Yeah. Let's get that catch point length. Catch point length. Yeah, uh, CPL. <laughs> catch point length for uh, sauce. Yeah, but that, those are the plays that that comes into effect, right? If, you're, if you throw those kind of contested targets or this – jump ball or the back shoulder or whatever it is the different like that's where the difference between McDuffie and Sauce Gardner comes into play like as however sticky McDuffie is throughout the route and, and in coverage once the ball arrives like you're just working with many inches less length to to be involved 
However, Trent McDuffie, in my notes, yeah, moves like a gymnast. A gymnast. Graceful. Graceful mover. Like he's going through the floor routine. Just floating around. I would like to see, instead of, uh, on a play, instead of a backpedal, if he does that, you know, when they spring and they go, they backflip and they just keep going? Oh, that'd be he great. He could do that all the way down the, all the, way down the field. Um, I saw Matt Miller tweet that um, McDuffie's teammate, Kyler Gordon, is not going to get out of the first round, according to teams that he, discussed, that he talked to. Kyler Gordon, um, in a lot of first-round mock drafts and all that stuff. Kyler Gordon also has one of the weirdest plays we saw on tape during this entire draft cycle. Where he's playing cover two. And then just like sits down? Literally sits down on the play. Yeah. Hides. And then the In ball. In plain sight. Yes. Yeah. And then on a scramble drill, the receiver just gets behind him for a big game. Yeah. I, it, did you ever play? I don't know. When we played pickup football, you'd kind of like, you'd cover your man and just like play off and like hope that the I mean, there are times threw it and you'd break, you'd try to bait him, right? Yeah. There are times kind of when hiding makes sense. That was not one of these times. When does hiding make sense? Like legitimately like going play, to the ground. Yeah, yeah. But like if there's like if there's a body between you and the dude and you can kind of hide behind him and he doesn't see you there, then it kind of makes sense. Like you can hide behind linebackers and stuff. But he's literally hiding just in the middle of the field in wide open space. He's not hiding behind anything. He's just hiding. I thought it was hilarious. I have it's to, like a kid. That, I want to check and see if he did it other times and if it worked. It's like a kid playing hide and seek. You know, where they just put their hands in front of their eyes. They're like, yeah. yeah. You can't see me. There's Instead of hiding though, behind if you, something, if you're near the ground, you're not going. You know, you're not going to see a jersey, and you're not going to see helmet. And so he looked like he was just trying to bait the quarterback, but then forgot to cover the receiver, and it was great. So that's Kyler Gordon from Washington. No knock. I mean, I appreciate the creativity. <laughs> I don't. No. I got a good chuckle. Out no, of I don't. I don't appreciate that creativity. I just don't know what that technique is. That was not useful. Play a little high technique. All right, we got 22. The Green Bay Packers. We're going to talk. About, this is this is like your pick here. George Pickens from Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, the mock draft sim didn't like it because we didn't move Pickens up the board high it'll, enough it'll by like the time it more. we did this. Yeah, it'll like it more when we, uh, when we update that day. Pickens is moving up the draft board in the final PFF draft board. Uh, but Pickens at 22 <laughs> to the Packers. I love that pairing with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, look, I, I think— Now they have Sammy Watkins, by the way, mm. also in Green Bay. Uh, an Aaron Rodgers move, apparently. That was a Rodgers That was GM Rodgers flexing the muscles. I mean, he was good with Randall Cobb last year. So he's going up to number 28 in the, uh, in the big board. Oh, so they'll love this pick way yeah, more. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's not really board. a D. You should update the D-. minus. I wanted to, but nobody coordinated with me as to when these things were happening. So I was... Uh, I saw Austin went dark on you. Didn't answer any of your questions. Nothing. Not a thing. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think Pickens is underrated in this draft at the moment, which I'll be writing later today, by the way. Uh, and the reason I think that is because as good as – I think this is a good wide receiver class. I think it's a deep wide receiver class. But it is not either good or deep on true number one X wide receiver skill sets, right? And that's why, you know, when Christian Watson runs his 4-3, everyone's losing their minds because all of a sudden that dude is like, oh, hang on. This is another one. This is this X wide receiver skill set that we didn't even think was that good. All of a sudden he's running out of, you know, insane speed. First rounder, throw him in there. Like, that's happening because there is this lack of true prototypical Julio Jones, Jamar Chase type number one X receivers. George Pickens has that skill set. Now, is that to say he's a perfect prospect and, you know, doesn't have some concerns in the ACL and the lack of production? No, obviously. But he's one of the guys that has that potential range of outcomes there 
that other players just don't have, right? Like yeah. Chris Olave is never going to be that guy. He just, he's a different type of receiver, and that's fine. But if, you, if that's the skill set you need, if that's what you're missing, then Pickens, I think, is, a, is on your short list of like five guys that you're even interested in. He's got incredible body control. Yes. And he can you – know, when you – you know how much Rodgers <coughs> loves to not throw to the middle of the field, to yep. throw outside the numbers, to throw back one-on-one shoulders. situations, to throw back shoulders and all that stuff. Pickens might be the best in the class. I mean, Drake London – I mean, if you yeah. gave Drake London well, – you could have in this. You, you could have given Drake London to uh, Aaron Rodgers and given him that type of body to throw to. But, yeah, Pickens I think would be a really nice pairing with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he's got great hands as well, has more than enough speed. He's got the size, 6'3". Like, he's, he's got that skill set. And obviously, this is a team that just traded away Devontae Adams. They need to replace an entire receiving core. And Pickens, I think, takes you a long way. Arizona Cardinals at number 23. They're going center Tyler Linderbaum yeah. from Iowa. Mm-hmm. So he's just going to come in and uh, replace Rodney Hudson, right? We're just going to replace the, uh, the aging center. Yeah, like I, so, I, I like this fit for Arizona. Rodney Hudson made a massive difference to this offensive line immediately. Came in, made a huge, and, and yet it was by far Rodney Hudson's worst year in terms of PFF grading. Some snap issues. Well, snap issues, and just wasn't as good overall. Like, and for a guy of his age, I think it's probably the start of the end. You know, even if offensive line and players generally are lasting longer and longer. Having some kind of Rodney Hudson succession plan will probably be very smart for Arizona, um, particularly for a team whose offseason seems to be largely built around maintaining what they have as opposed to taking big strides in a different direction or in a getting better sense. So I think Linderbaum makes a lot of sense. I, when I look at Linderbaum, I, I mentioned that when I paired him with the Ravens, he, he has that Jason Kelsey-like movement skills right i mean jason kelsey looks like a little linebacker out in space when you pull him and get him to the second level as a as a zone blocker so you can just kind of do different stuff and if you look at arizona uh the kyler murray thing is starting to come to a head kyler's saying that he doesn't want to play without a new contract but if kyler murray is still there and you think about what you can do in the qb run game and um expanding your zone blocking techniques and getting Linderbaum in space and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility there. Plus, in general, Arizona's done a really good job of of spreading to run and staying efficient on the ground, and Linderbaum can absolutely help that as well. Um, and he weighed over 300, so he's not undersized anymore, right? Yeah. What did he get, 302 or something he got to? Yeah. But, but he's still got short arms. It just feels weird that I'm like an undersized center weight-wise. But I'm close to being good enough. Yeah, I mean, you're like your your prototypical tackle size wise, just not. You got to add some weight. More of like frame. a zone tackle, though. Not yeah, well, weight yet. you're not there, but like length. You got the length that the True. teams covet at the position. True tackle length, yeah. not zone length. It's tackle length. Yeah. All right, Linderbaum to the Cardinals at 23. Then the Cowboys are going Zion Johnson. But oh wait, we've got breaking news here. We do breaking news. The final version of the PFF Draft Guide is live. It's over there at pff.com. And the breaking news is that you can get 50% off a PFF Elite Annual subscription using the promo code DRAFT50. You get 365 days of Elite. You get all of PFF's locked article contents, the Draft Guide, which just came out. I have it at 567 pages. Is that right? 500-something pages. It's a monster. We added all sorts of new players and... 
profiles and breakdowns and the whole thing. You get the completely unlocked mock draft simulator. That's what we use to do our mock drafts. Data and grades for the entire 2021 and upcoming 2022 season. I think USFL's in there. They started. It's all part of your elite package. You get 50% off right now. Promo code's DRAFT50. I mentioned the Hutch four-part podcast series. Mentioned that earlier. That launched last week, so check that out wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you're on YouTube, go check it out on the PFF page here. Four-part series breaking down Hutch, potential number one overall NFL draft prospect. It's out there right now. Team worked really hard on this. We appreciate you if you go check it out. Because uh, we appreciate Hutch for taking the time mm. to, uh, to talk to Austin. Because who the heck wants to do that? Uh. Hutch did. Anyway, go check it out. That's right. Breaking news. The PDF is out there. Uh, number 24, the Dallas Cowboys go Zion Johnson. Yep. Guard out of Boston College. You love this combination here. Yeah. I mean, I just think it makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I think they have a need at guard or tackle. They don't seem to think that they have a need at tackle. Terrence Steele. <laughs> they've got faith in Terrence. You and your response to, like, two fans is just my favorite. This isn't two fans. This is a lot of people seem to think that Terrence Steele, the Cowboys have a lot of faith in Terrence. You know? Fine. Did you see, by the way, Did you read the tea a, leaves? I, I haven't read the tea leaves. Follow the tea leaves. Um, not even read them. Just follow them. You don't fo- you have to no, follow you don't, them. You don't read them. You just follow them. Follow the tea leaves. I don't read or follow Wherever either. Wherever they go. Uh, there was a, was it a picture or a video of... It was like a Jerry Jones press conference, maybe, at the Star. And they have that, there's a sort of giant, you know, press area seating and stuff. And there's like a big balcony up here, right, connected to various other parts of the building. Jerry Jones, coming from, you know, inside the, the labyrinth somewhere, gets to the, like, the balcony, you know, surveys the, and was like, ah, my subjects or something. And then, like, chuckles and walks down, you know, gives the press conference. I kind of love Jerry Jones. <laughs> just like, you love a good billionaire. Yeah. I just think he's doing it the right way, right? If yeah. you're going to be a billionaire and you're going to have legitimate, you know, FU money, isn't that the way to do it? Buy a football team, run it yourself. I don't care what you think. Act like king. You're right. Yeah. I own this thing. It's mine. I'm going to do with it what I choose, you know? And you just have to live with it. And, yeah, I'll, every now and again I'll tell you some stuff, you know, drop some little seeds of information. But, you know. You're you're at my beck and call, because yeah. I'm the billionaire. I got the jerried bus. I got the I got the yacht. Just I got this fun. whole complex. Yeah. I got the billion dollar stadium with the blinding light at one end, just because I like the look of it. Like <laughs> the blinding. It's just I just he does, he's doing it the right way. The blinding you know? light's great. I love that. At least it's for both teams. I like Jerry Jones and I like Elon Musk getting sick of Twitter, so he's just gonna buy it. <laughs> Obviously, that's, that's the move. what I would do if I had that kind of money. Straight cash, homie. Yeah. That's how you do it. You know, I just I like that. If, I mean, sure, could they do better things with their money, you know? Help people, maybe. Whatever. I'm just saying. There's a certain, there's a certain part of me that really appreciates a good, like... Well, maybe buying Twitter is helping people. Yeah. There's a certain part of me that just genuinely appreciates, you know, a good, like, yeah, I'm rich, and this is what I'm going to do with it. What of it? I like that. <laughs> we need a whole show on your analysis of the best billionaires in the world and their mentalities. I thought you were going to say that the Cowboys leaked their draft board again. That, that usually comes out after the draft, but mm. I, I thought you were going to say he was, like, carrying his draft board. No, no. That wouldn't shock me. Somehow, was there was, like, like yeah. a five-year period where five years in a row the Cowboys draft board somehow got leaked in videos and all that stuff, and yeah. it was great. Um, so the Cowboys go and Zion Johnson to play left guard. Um, I don't think they have a clean – I don't know. Do they have a clean right tackle – prospect there anyway no not anymore not in this draft i mean they're, they're uh, until the on. titans pick at 26 uh the bills at 25 are going to go andrew booth the corner out of clemson cornerback two 
opposite Tredavious White. I'm not the biggest Booth fan, I was but say, wouldn't hate that doesn't like him, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm just not a huge Booth fan. You like him? You I like yeah. this fit? I, I mean, as a as a corner two for the Bills in their scheme, it'd be fine. I mean, I'm just he's not like, high on him. He's really inexperienced, though, which yeah. in, I think is a good thing for him. Like, because his his athleticism, his footwork is insane. He, I mean, Renner doesn't like his tackling because he misses a few, but he also like hits people like a train and has a a highlight reel full of plays where he's like burying, you know, bubble screens, all those kinds of things. Yeah. I'm I'm good with that. So you take a guy who's physical, who's willing to get up and mess with receivers, who's got great footwork, and has played okay despite being incredibly inexperienced, and you put him on a team where he only needs to be the number two, I'm all for it. I think I'll, I'll, go back. I'll go back to the film. And um, like Zay Flowers was – I'm just going back through my, through my notes here. I got him guessing a lot, and I feel like he was guessing a lot. So I, I, when I'm watching him, I felt like a lot of his plays – were guesswork, and that came back to bite him at other times. I know you say that happens a lot in college with double moves and but all again, that stuff. Again, also, he, like, how, he also liked it's like year one. He felt small. Like he just felt like he was going to get out physical at the next level. Moves extremely well. Um, I'll go back to the film with Booth. Give him another chance here. Okay. But that's fine. That's fine for the Bills at 25. I can see them going corner there. Where'd my mock go? Where'd it go? <laughs> Bills at 25. Titans at 26. This is where you go Tyler Smith from Tulsa. He's... Uh, Newly minted top 32 player, I think, on our draft board. Always graded well at Tulsa. Kind of like uh, the, a similar description. You mentioned uh, Iki Iguanu, maybe Trevor Penning, like guys that just maul in the run game but have some question marks as far as pass protection goes. Yeah, and Tyler, so this, this is becoming a more and more common first-round pick just across the, the draft landscape, whatever you want to call it. Like a lot of people are now mocking Tyler Smith in the first round. Um, and he has been described as this group of five version of Vicky Aquano, which is this dominant run-blocking monster who may be not quite as good as in pass protection. The difference, though, aside from, you know, level of competition, is Smith is doing it with, like, none of the technique. So Aquano, not only is he a mauler, but his technique is, is amazing um, in the run game. Like, his, he's doing it with outstanding uh, fundamentals. Smith is just doing it. Like, there's no fundamentals. There's no technique. It's just all just going out there and crushing people, Um, which feels a little bit like the Derek Stingley thing, right? Like, if he's able to put up those numbers with, like, zero give a crap or zero technique to what he's doing in workout, in you know, on the pro day, that's a good thing, right? Like, that metaphor, if you've got two guys running the same time, you take the guy with the crappy technique because once you teach him the proper technique, he's better, Yeah. So with, if Tyler Smith is able to do what he's doing right now, which is like a 94 run-blocking grade, like if he's able to post a 94 run-blocking grade effectively without any idea what he's doing, you take that. Because then as soon as you teach him what he's doing, he's just going to like absolutely remove anything in front of him. Theoretically, maybe, but there's also a chance he doesn't get it. But look, I... But I mean, like- yeah, this is also the same argument as like the Trayvon Walker thing, right? Like if he's able... like if. If he's this freaky athletically, as soon as you teach him what he's doing, yeah. boom. But there, like, that's why this guy's going 26 in this mock as opposed to, you know, sure. three or two or one. Uh, the mock draft sim didn't love it just because we had Smith lower on the draft board. Once that gets finalized, it'll like it a lot better. But, yeah, Tyler Smith to the Titans. Uh, Titans fans have at it if you don't like it. I want to know who Titans fans want at that point. I don't think they care. They just don't want who you want to give them. All right. Well, number 26. We didn't forget you, Titans. Tyler Smith. 
the monster tackle out of Tulsa going in the first round there. The Tampa Bay Bucks up at 27. They're going Kenyon Green, Texas A&M, fill that left guard spot. 93.2 run blocking grade on zone runs. And uh, look, if the Bucks are going to make another Super Bowl run, they have to figure out left guard at some point. So um, I think a lot of the early rumors were that they were going to probably take a guard here. They're, they don't have as many holes as last year, though. So the Bucks can go in or they have more holes than last year they can go a few different avenues but i think green might be a good fit here at 27 yeah i mean you see them filling a need and just filling out the roster right if they went into that first year and were like we need to get a right tackle like grab tristan worse boom offensive line is complete i i would find it very i would think it's unusual if they did not attack guard like i understand they have some players on the roster that could potentially fill that role and battle it out in training camp and you know win the job or whatever but at the very minimum i would kind of expect them to draft a guy in the first round and at least make that a battle with you know the likes of leverett um rather than just give him the job so i think that's probably what they do yeah you got to figure something out at left guard i don't think they're going to roll in the season what they have uh packers come back at 28 so they grab george pickens at 22 jermaine johnson the edge at Flo- uh, from florida state now, I'm far more on board with picking Jermaine Johnson here than maybe in the top 15 where he had been rumored. Once again, dominant senior bowl, one year of very good production, not great production, low 80s PFF grade. So never really dominated in college, but he was behind all those dudes at Georgia on the defensive line. And, man, this could be a really nice fit for the Packers. Yeah, I, uh, this is another one where I think they just make this move out of value. Like, I think that they would expect Jermaine Johnson to be gone far before this. I kind of would as well. And yet if he ends up being here. So if you're Green Bay, I don't think that double dipping at wide receiver would be crazy, even with Sammy Watkins on board. Um, And if you did it here, you'd kind of be screwing over Kansas City, one pick behind you. So there'd be almost more incentive to do it. But if Jermaine Johnson is sitting there at this pick, I think that would just be too good a value to turn down. Uh, the, there, there's one Jets fans or one Jets fan in my mentions that seems to have the Jets draft board to hand, which is useful. Um, <laughs> He's got the board. Well, yeah, yeah. From the Reddit, to, from Reddit. According Jets to Reddit. him, the Jets would take Jermaine Johnson at four. So that mock would be edge rusher one, two, three, four. Really? So there, the Jets, you know, number four or a player that the Jets would have at number four overall, even in this scenario, was going 28 here. Well... So who, where would the Jets go at 10? I don't think that's important. Just, they just go Jermaine Johnson at right, 4. Just edge Just four. take whichever. If, you, if you're following the tea leaves and you have their draft board, you would take Jermaine Johnson at 4. Are they giving out their draft board like the Cowboys? I don't know. Maybe it comes with the season ticket package, you know? That would be great. That would be great. Here's the, don't tell anybody, but here's the draft board. So he's already, like, breaking their confidentiality. Yeah, maybe, maybe they didn't give – maybe they don't have one. Maybe it's maybe just, you know, maybe it's just an honesty policy, you know? On their board. Maybe he's number one on their board. They're going to get their number one player at number four. I mean, it could be. His, his tweet was, uh, with all due respect, the top three players are different on the Jets board than, than PFFs. Uh, they'd take Jermaine Johnson at four. I mean, yeah, but there's, there's probably 33 different boards if you include PFF. Yes. There's 32 teams, PFF, and all the boards are going to be different. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all yeah. right. So Jermaine Johnson at 28 to the Packers. Love that as a pick. And uh, so the, if the Packers fan, if Packers come away with Jermaine Johnson and George Pickens, we've talked about doubling up a receiver, but now they've got Sammy Watkins, right? Maybe you don't have to double up as much. You got, you got Sammy, still have Randall Cobb at the moment. 
Not bad. Aaron Rodgers Alan seems Lazard. to be collecting a style of receiver that the GM Rodgers likes. Maybe there's a reason they haven't had his involved. Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb are not the same style other than they've been in the league a long time. Well, they're the same style in terms of, like, over the hill. Cobb is still good. They're assembling, like, Aaron Rodgers. Cobb is still good. GM Aaron Rodgers appears to be assembling a receiving core that would be amazing in, like, 2016. Yeah, I mean, he's going he's gonna to get the most out of that's Sammy Watkins. The, that's the theme that he's working with here in terms of similar style. Familiarity. And then you add George Pickens to the group, they're going to be fine. They're going to be just fine. All right, Chiefs, back-to-back. Imagine if this happens here. Yeah. Wide receiver Drake London. Mm-hmm. Wow, how did he fall this far? I mean, and then uh, Edge, Boye Mafe. Ripples. All these things. You have a lot of ripples. It's like I don't, I don't think there were a ton of players that were overdrafted necessarily in your mock, but there was a lot of players that felt like they fell. Right. Right. There was a lot of stuff that made sense. This is the thing, right? You do these, you do mocks, and every year it's like, ah, oh, this guy's never going to fall. This is ridiculous. But what, I, every time I do a mock, there are times where it feels like a guy is is sliding, and it's not that easy to find a place where he's naturally going to go. Like, and this happens every year in the draft. People slide for no good reason. Like, C.D. Lamb was arguably the best prospect in that draft, certainly the second best, and yet he slid all the way to 17. The player slid all the way to 17. This guy Sweet was spot. Right. This, but these guys were supposed to be top 10, top 5 talents, and they end up sliding as far as, uh, as 17. Players have slid further than that in the past. Like, it happens every single year because a lot of teams do draft for need because – you know, sometime the draft unfolds in a weird way and you end up picking a player you never expected to pick. And that's kind of what happened here. That, that run to start the draft, edge rusher, one, two, three. Apparently should have been edge rusher, one, two, three, four. The fact that those guys went in that order immediately upsets the sort of the standard draft that everybody is expecting. And it only takes like three picks, you know, three more picks from that on to go in a slightly different direction because an unexpected player is available for a guy like Drake London or Jermaine Johnson to suddenly be sitting there like low 20s or high 20s rather and like unexpectedly be available this and month. This happens every year. Yeah. Right? Every single year there are teams that just pick differently than what the consensus assumed they were going to do and it looks like there are great values that fall. So if the Chiefs get Drake London and Boye Mafe out of Minnesota, I think that's a huge a huge win there. Mafe, great burst and had a very good senior bowl. And you just see how much he can really threaten the edge. They have a, a big need for just overall defensive line talent, but certainly a, a pure one-on-one pass rusher. And then the Chiefs adding London. Here's the the other interesting thing about London. They, had, they added Valdez Scantling. They added Juju Smith-Schuster. It seemed like there were some tweets about how the Chiefs were trying to be different stylistically, uh, namely bigger. Mm. And size-wise. So this would obviously match up with that, too. Drake London, the biggest receiver in the draft as far as size, you know, just height and ability to win at the catch point, plays huge. That'd be fascinating to see this Chiefs wide receiver core with that type of size and just a complete departure from what they'd been as this, you know, basketball on grass type of offense. Yeah. No, it would. I mean, I think it would be – it would represent a change in – direction at that position and and how they've been doing things obviously with Tyreek Hill but I mean I would be fascinated to see Patrick Mahomes playing with Drake London I would too completely different from the speed receivers that they have with with Tyreek Hill all right so Drake London Mafe going to the Chiefs we got two picks left Cincinnati Bengals they're going cornerback K.R. Elam out of Florida 
Uh, a lot of uh, corner seems like a nice. I've seen Kyler Gordon go here, the, you know, the hider. Uh, we've seen corners go here to the Bengals. Initially, it was a bunch of offensive linemen, but they put a lot of effort into building that group this offseason. So maybe that's not – I mean, they can go best player available, but I yeah. think corner seems like a good place where value matches at 31 here for the Bengals. Exactly. I think, I think Cincinnati is well positioned that they could be the team that halts the slide of one of these players, right, that ends up being great value. And if a guy like – you know, London or Jermaine Johnson, whoever it is, somebody sliding in the first round ends up making it as far as 31. Cincinnati has put themselves in a position where they can just grab a really good player. But they are in a spot where I think cornerback would arguably be their biggest need. This is a good area of the draft for cornerback value, I think. So it probably matches that they'll just grab one of those dudes. They're also in a decent position, I think, to potentially trade out, you know, if – if teams think that if Detroit doesn't go Malik Willis at number two, if teams think that Detroit is going to go quarterback at 32 and they want to jump that, you know, Cincinnati sitting there at 31 is a place to get to. So if you're a team that wants a Matt Corral or Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter and you think you need to jump over Detroit to make that happen, like the, uh, Cincinnati at number 31 is an obvious trade partner. I, I think that's really smart too, right? I mean, they they're good enough that they can trade down, and I think they should absolutely be uh, answering those phone calls if you're the Bengals. Um, and then the Lions at 32. I keep giving them quarterbacks. A lot of people giving them QBs, and you are not. You're going Traylon Burks, yeah. the wide receiver out of Arkansas here. Uh, I want to say another value pick, but if he ends up in the second round, I don't think that's going to be surprising at this point, given some of the other receivers and some of the question marks here. That now gives the Lions Kayvon Thibodeau at two, and then Traylon Burks at 32. A couple good players there with the quarterback still in play for either later in the draft or just next year. Yeah, I think Traylon Burks, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets drafted almost anywhere. Like, he could go anywhere from top half of the first round, maybe, as far certainly in the middle of that first round somewhere, to, I mean, he could go in the middle of the second round. Like, there's a, there's a full round of outcomes that, I, that wouldn't surprise me with Burks because – the projection is kind of all over the place. On the one hand, you do have this giant monster receiver that was a devastating playmaker against good competition without great quarterback play. And that's, that's not easy to do. On the other hand, you have a guy that ran pedestrian 40 times that has reported weight concerns that played an offense that didn't really have a conventional wide receiver role for him. And the projection to like a, like a regular NFL receiver role is massive. So what do you do with that? Um, and I think every team is going to have a different answer, right? There's going to be teams that are like, let's, you, can't, you can't replicate what he did in college. Let's take that and figure out how we use it. Um, and there are going to be teams that are like, there's way too much risk and projection involved here. I'm not touching that in the first round. So I think by my count, that puts, what, six receivers in the first round? That's, does that sound right? Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jameson Williams, Drake London, Traylon Burks, and George Pickens. Not in that order, but those six all go in the first round. I would say if if there's a place where I think we're off a lot of times when projecting the first round, it's at receiver. Where I mean, I'm comfortable taking receivers and think it's a, you know, one of the most valuable valuable positions on the field, right? But I think the NFL tends to want to draft the big guys in the first round. Uh again, when you're doing studies, where do good receivers come from? There's a lot of things that point to getting receivers in the second round, right? The Debo Samuels of the world, the A.J. Browns of the world came in the second round. I could see that happening in this particular draft. I'm not saying 
Like, is six a little rich? Does it end up at four? You know, Pickens and Burks maybe don't end up in the first round. They end up in the second. I could just see a lot of teams in a draft of uncertainty looking at the depth of, say, top ten, the top ten receivers or so in this draft and thinking, let's get them in the second. Let's draft our tackles and our edges and all that stuff in the first round. So that'll be interesting to see if the receivers end up falling just a little bit more than we always seem to anticipate. It's kind of like how do you – what is your response? If you agree with my assessment that this receiver class is low on elite X receiver type of skill sets, your response to that is one of two things. You either start to reach for the ones that are there, i.e. George Pickens goes in the first round, goes up you know, 22 to, to Green Bay, or you say, so we're just going to wait on wide receiver because we don't you – know, it's not a strength of this class, so let's wait until the second or third round and take a shot then when the risk is lower. We'll fill – a different spot earlier in the draft so i think it could go either way right you could see teams start to bring in guys like pickens because he's one of the few that does have that skill set or you could see them back off and, and start picking edge rushers where there's a lot more strength yeah that's again i think when teams are evaluating success historically no matter what they're using as success criteria that is part of the the analysis, right, is uh, do you have to get certain players in the top half, certain positions at the top half of the draft historically? Do you have to get or can you get other positions later that you can't get earlier? The scarcity concept, right, which is different from here's our draft board, here's who we think the best players are, and we're going to stick to it. You have to play the the scarcity game. you got to play the resource game like I was talking about earlier and finding a path to the field for Evan Neal. So it's what makes it all fun. And um, we'll find out next week. I'm about ready. about ready to find out how it's going to all shake out. That's a shame because we still have a while. We do have a, we do have a couple weeks, but uh, we're close here. Um, so Sam's Mock Draft, it's over at pff.com. Go check it out. Don't forget, 50% off your PFF Elite subscription. 50% off mm. for 365 days of access. Draft 50 is your promo code. That's as cheap that. as it's going to get. It like is. I haven't seen, I haven't seen a greater discount than fifty percent. We don't go over fifty, I don't believe. So I this would be seen one. the time to get in. Yep. You could also get twenty five percent off Edge using NFL Pod. True. If you just want to get Edge, use NFL Pod for twenty five percent off. Um, I'll give away an Edge subscription this week as well. So keep sending those screenshots that you subscribe to the daily and you subscribe to this podcast, and I will give away another free PFF Edge. We did find the guy that signed up his entire his wife. That's what it was. Wife. Yeah. And uh, we get the guy that's going to sign up his entire company or whatever it is, like his his team. That was contingent on something else, wasn't it? Like reading out his question. We circle back to his email, yeah, or something. And maybe on the Wednesday pod. Maybe um, we have Nate Tice locked in. By the way, for the player comp show, we're going to drop that either Wednesday or Thursday. We're going to pre-record that player comp show, and we're just going to give you guys all the best player comps. Love Nate Tice's player comps, so we're going to have some fun with that this yep. week as well. Anything else? No. Email us. You know, uh, email us and donate to the charity so we can get onto the baseball thing. Um, Just want to watch Sam throw 60 ish. Uh, I see. Even you. Even you think. 50s. Even you think it'll be 60. I sent you, I told you, what was it? Each row, 85, just roll out of bed as a ceremonial pitch. Yeah, dude's got a cannon. That's got to feel bad if you're you. Dude's got a cannon. Yeah. Does anybody want to hear an Ichiro story? No. 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 Oh. Faced but he him, just like that faced was a, him in spring training. It was a ceremonial pitch, and he threw eighty-five. Yeah, you had like a forty-minute warm-up session. You couldn't hit seventy-five. He's so good at baseball. Well, yeah, so good. But how bad are you? I'm not in that league. I mean, look, there's a lot of major league base. There's 
the distribution of talent at the major league <laughs> level, he is the top 1% of the 1%. Yeah. Special at everything. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's what he did. How, he's not, how, how big is he? It's not that big. Yeah. It's not that big. He, had, he always had a cannon, though. Isn't that kind of weird? In the outfield. You know? Because what? So, you know. Like Kyler Murray was the ninth overall pick. He's small. Yeah. Your athleticism obviously has some flaws to it, you know, particularly now. Uh, like a 40-minute warm-up session can't get you over 75 for at the thing you used to do professionally, that kind of thing. But what I am constantly impressed by is just given your sheer size, how much ability that gives a man of your dimensions to just move things, right? Just wait. Mm-hmm. Like you – we. When, when we were going to the gym at the Y, when we were in this office daily, and we would go to the gym at the Y, just for like rolling in there, having done nothing, you would be like bench rows. You were able to like lift up 90 pounds or whatever just through being a giant human being. That's constantly impressive to a man like of my size who is not a giant human being. Like I could be working out for like a year, and you just by being a foot taller and 100 a pounds heavier can lift heavier things than me. It's a impressive. compliment from Sam. A but compliment. That must feel weird then for you who's used to that world of being able to you know lift heavier things than people to see just this tiny little dude roll out there and like whoosh, like 85 he's probably still throwing he's probably still playing catch he's probably just sitting there on a the couch watching baseball all day no man, comes out there ceremonial i don't think pitch. you realize how difficult it is Vroom. to just roll out of bed and throw the ball hard it is very <laughs> difficult and i think you're underestimating what you're <laughs> able to do I'm just saying it's anyway, going to be over 60. That's, really quick. It's been the point all along. Ichiro came down to spring training one year to just, like, work on his game, right? So he played against us in, like, an A-ball spring training game. He's uh-huh. already in the, in the majors, right? He's very good. And I think he was working on his bunting and stuff. So he would we'd play this working minor league. Working on your bunting? He was just working on stuff. So he would lead off every inning, right, just to get he – he wanted to get, like, 10 at-bats in, and he did. And he would work. He'd bunt and then whatever. He'd lead off every single inning to get his swings in. He had one at-bat against one of our pitchers where he fouled off like 10 straight pitches. It was just like, I don't like that one. Don't like that one. Just kept fouling it off, fouling it off. And then he hit an absolute moonshot to right field. As soon as the pitcher came inside on him, you know how that is, turned on it and absolutely crushed it. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of those, like sometimes you're, there are very few players who are just at this other level of good where they can do that kind of stuff. And I got to see it up close one time, and it was like, wow, that's, that's why he's so good. There's not many of them. It's like each, you know, Hall of Fame level. Yeah. It was, it was impressive. Okay. And then you could throw 85, rolling out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. So don't compare me to Ichiro. I'm just, you know. Guy's legit. I'm just saying if it was one of these. Single season hits record, you know, all that stuff. Like, if it was one of these other giant freaks, like, wasn't it Randy Johnson? That guy's huge, right? It was someone like Randy, Randy rolls yeah. out there, throws 85. You, you know, you was a huge person. We're like, all right, that's, that's what we do. Us big people, you know? But I got like each roll. You're like, how does he? Randy's also coming down from throwing 100. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean. So if, I'm just saying, if you're looking at that as a huge person, you'd be like, yeah, I get it. I, I understand how that huge person, years into his retirement, can still roll out there, fire 85 down uh, there. That's my former teammate, Randy but, Johnson. But you as a large person must be looking at each row and be like, how does that little tiny guy go out there and hit eight? Like, what? Yeah, I've, that doesn't I've make sense. That Tim Lincecum. Remember Lincecum? No. The Giants? <laughs> Those are my former teammates, by the way. Randy, Timmy. Of course. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're done. Yeah. Baseball talk is through the roof. <laughs> yeah, it is. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We have a player comp show and all sorts of great stuff for you this week. We'll see you Wednesday and Thursday this week.